Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of By the Numbers. I'm uh, your host, Richard Lewis. Joining me as he always does, uh, it's Duncan Thorne Shields. We're doing it on a Sunday today because uh, we've had all sorts of problems. I'm probably going to be lagging all over the yeah. place. The internet in Vegas is having a fucking nightmare. Thorin's brain's going to be lagging all over the place for uh, g- good reasons. Um, but how you been? I feel like I ain't talked to you in ages. Not bad. Not bad. Just got up, watched the uh, glorious Aaron Rodgers deliver a lot of nice... Oh, mate. That's Don't even passes. fucking bother. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed yeah, that. it was fucking absolute garbage. Like, Derek Carr, man. <laughs> Fucking, he's got to take risks in the end zone, but you know, yeah, that fucking man. He seemed he seemed good a while back when he was just David Carr's brother. That might be better than him, but then the end was kind of similar. Just an okay player, isn't he? So, like for 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 me, I I thought that game we just needed someone to take the game out of fucking you know scruff them. We had chances there, like we could have definitely pushed them hard, but it was just one disastrous quarter, which is pretty much the Raiders. Season. Still, we've been fucked over with the perfect decision. I don't know if you saw that. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah but like, yeah, but it's a, the, the the appeal is fucking stud. So like, they're saying, yeah, you've just got no right to appeal that. An entire season banned because of shit you did in previous seasons, essentially. So the NFL bad. should never let those League of Legends Reddit mods take over the Judiciary Commission. <laughs> I know. It's 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 insane. Um, so look, um, like, as I said, I'm going to be a little bit laggy. I'm going to see if this, uh, if this, if I can ride this out, uh, but if for any reason I can't, seems um, fine on my end. Like, oh, I'm not lagging for you. No, no, the camera is like lagging. Yeah. But watch out. If yeah. I change server, it will fix itself for a second. And then, yeah, it's really weird. Cause it's saying that my, um, my connection is like Amber, but it's also saying it's like five ping. So. That's all right at the moment. See how long it lasts. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. eh? Right, okay. Anyway, uh, shout out to the sponsors. Been doing some interviews over there. If you've missed them, we did an interview with Blame F over at CS on YouTube. Go and follow it. We did uh, did Blame F. I've just wrapped DK. So lots of good stuff there. Be sure to support them because they're great sponsors to have and they've been uh, supporting us for a long, long time now and enable... Uh, enabling us to do uh, this show and everything else and all, all manner of other content. Um, and of course, uh, shout out to the patrons that make the show possible. You're in for a treat today because absolutely fuck all has been happening in CS. We're going to have to really dig in, fucking pad this episode out uh, because the one event we're going to talk about is fucking, what was it, DreamHack Rotterdam or something. <laughs> so it's like, okay, all right, this is going to be a tough one to fucking fill. But let's start, right? with the CSGO update that occurred um, shortly after the last episode. Um, you know, we I, I've given uh, Valve some criticism uh, in, in, you know, in, in previous episodes saying that they weren't really doing a lot for the 20th anniversary of the game. We hadn't seen a lot of in-game content come out. Uh, we were struggling to get new maps out and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we actually did have something uh, as part of this... Um, CS 20th anniversary update. We did get a new map and we got a bunch of uh, skins and we got a, a classic knife, uh, which was basically the model uh, from Counter Strike 1.6. So it's a lot better than nothing. Uh, still doesn't really blow me away, if I'm being honest with you, Duncan. I mean, like, again, I think about the average door to battle pass and the average compendium and, and everything else. And, and it, it, you know, it pales into comparison. But, but, as I'm very often told, uh, you know, it's a much smaller development team 
Um, it's uh, getting out. It's yeah, where that's like their version of that thing that was like riots thing for the first like five years. Like, what's well, a small startup? It's like, have you got like a thousand employees <laughs> make like two billion revenue? They're like, a small startup, just small start, just small start. It's all I can we'll tell them, like, pull the curtains, will you? Like, fuck it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Also, to be fair, as a contrast, everyone loves to rag on like Riot and League for everyone else. Their 10 mm. year anniversary, they announced like four games or something they're working on. What the fuck's Valve doing? They're like oh, no, 20 I, years. I, I, was, I was just going to say, actually. Have an old it... knife, like that old one from the <laughs> mega old game. Hey, is that enough? Say it. I'm off. Yeah, it was. Um, only two it, of it was, us, remember? <laughs> It was it was pretty crazy actually. Why like, do they have to pretend the, like the working contrast. on? Why do they pretend like working in the CS Go department of Valve? It's like that movie Moon, where you just <laughs> on your own one guy, like, small department, you know. You just and at the end you're like, right, oh, I hope someone's coming to see me. Spoiler, you just you just releasing a clone of yourself to do the rest of the, the next seven years of banning everyone in the whole world manually. Yeah, it, it, it when you compare it to the the announcements, it's it's not great. Um, and you know, I, I'm I'm still amazed we actually got something, frankly. So I, you know, I I guess I guess I got to take it that way. If anything, the riot announcement was complete fucking overkill. By the way, like why not just stretch that out for a week instead of just announcing we're doing an anime, we're doing four games, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're making improvements to the game, we're doing. This, oh, by doing... the way, though, speaking of which. It wasn't that one of those moments that just made you have to take a pause at the people in our community. I can't believe the people in the CSGO community, like casters and stuff, who were making comments like, ooh, check out that FPS. Was, what? All you've seen is a screenshot or like a five-second clip. Oh, come you on, dude. Nothing, already... And they're already like mad it. Ooh, I might want to get in this game. Also, have you not been listening to any of those? You know all the episodes where you don't, you already know CSGO and you're listening, you think, mm. why do they always bang on about those other games? One of them that we're always complaining about all the problems in is made by the same people who make this new game. There might be a reason to avoid them. Like, they'd have to be twice as good as all the stuff in CS for my money to make it worth it just because of the Riot bullshit. Like, it wants yeah, to go like, one, 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 of the, one of the things that I've observed, and you've been around the scene long enough, is that CS players have, like, such a weird relationship with the game um, that, you know... Whenever a new FPS comes out, they'll go and play it and hope that it scratches the itch. It's just that no game ever does. Now the the, the new game uh, that's coming out, you know, Project A or what they're calling it internally yes. at Riot is Ares. Um, it does look to basically be, um, you know, in in terms of gunplay, very very close to what we know and and, and understand. Yes, go based on the limited footage that I've seen released. The way that the models are kind of um, you know situated, the way the scopes work, the way you can do flicks and stuff. Um, throwing in these abilities is going to be it's sort of an interesting balance because they're not going full Overwatch, where you know that you know you still have to have a gun, you still have to be able to shoot people, you still have to be able to aim. The abilities are more to sort of augment the gunplay, apparently. So. It's going to be interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like I say, I always think, I thought it was really strange. I saw, like, a few people, like, um, you know, Slasher tweeted something out saying Counter-Strike's one of the most insecure communities. You know, in my experience, that's like... It's weird. I would say the opposite. Yeah, this is definitely not true. Be because when TF2 came out, a bunch of CS players, and you quit to play that, then came back. When, you know, you name it, whenever an FPS comes out, I think people are just like, you know, because CS has just been omnipresent since the start. You just you just come back to it eventually. You always find your way back to center because there is no game like it. There's no game that's ever come close to sort of having the high skill ceiling, um, but the very easy, simple concept. 
Uh, there just hasn't been a, a game that's mastered it. And I think, you know, when you start trying to emulate that with class-based shooters, I don't think it's going to work. I, you know, I, I think there is probably a good class-based shooter you could make. It hasn't been Overwatch. And I don't think, uh, I mean, I think Project A has got a long way to go before it can even sort of begin to crack that nut because lots of development teams have, have, have tried. Especially that angle that people always use, because it's been exactly all, like for anyone who doesn't know, when behind the scenes for the last like three or four years, anyone would reference this shooter, it would always go like this. Have you heard about the shooter that Riot's making? Oh, I've heard Volcano's behind that. Volcano, I either know who Volcano is or will now inform you that he made CS Cash. So he must be good. He must not. It's like, I've always thought like, is everyone that naive as well that they think a former player wasn't even a CSGO player, by the way, a former like pro player making a map would then mean that he's going to make a brilliant FPS game that's going to become a massive esport? Like, the, like the reach on that's massive, guys. Like, you have yeah. to realize, I always give this example the guy who actually invented Counter Strike, like the, the Orson Wells of Counter Strike, as it was, like Gooseman. Even his game wasn't, that was just like an okay game. He just made a different game, that tactical strike or whatever it was called. Like, it was just, a, you know, an interesting concept with some new ideas. It wasn't some revolutionary thing. Like, I always think people are way too generous thinking you can sort of know in esports what the next big game's going to be or who's going to create it. Because I feel like, like the only thing you can be sure of is that there is no certainty whatsoever in that field. It's all completely in, in motion as far as I can tell. I mean, didn't uh, did we've seen this quite a few times? It wasn't there, uh, uh, Dirty Bomb as well, right? Like that was another game that was meant to be. Oh, look, it's the people that made fucking because uh, it was splash damage, right? And, and, right. And they're the people that made like Wolfenstein and Enemy Territory. So you know that game's gonna blow up and be an incredible uh, fucking esport. And of course, it wasn't. No one played it. it I think it's been leased off to fucking Nexon. You know, I did consultation on Brink which was going to be like, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, all the Quake players were jumping on board with that. Premise that sounded good for that one. Yeah, that lasted about a week. Yeah. <laughs> that lasted about a week. Uh, I, I think I played like two competitive games of Brink, got absolutely smashed in some terrible map, with which was one big jaw point. So it just came down to who has got the 20 years of Quake experience under the belt, which isn't me. And, uh, and that was that pretty much. And um, everyone went away from it. And... Uh, you know, Battalion 1944, right? Everybody was saying it was a spiritual success at the Call of Duty 2. Probably the best Call of Duty title, uh, unless you're a Call of Duty Modern Warfare kind of person. Either is good, COD 2, COD 4. Take your pick, one of them's the best. Um, but, you know, Battalion 1944, it arrived. It had streamers and people associated with it. And everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be big. It's going to blow up. People will stream. People, nah, dead, dead within a week, dead on arrival. So I think you've got to be incredibly um, careful about kind of like jumping on board. I mean, in, and like, look at this spate of fucking battle royales. PUBG, the number one game in the world. It's incredible. It, it's going to last forever. They're scaling back their esports uh, already. You know, the, they've reneged on a promise to release skins in the game uh, for, for teams that they said we're going to do. Uh, there's also rumblings that they might be cancelling some leagues and some ladders going on around. Fortnite, I mean, you know, the the biggest thing they've done in in sort of recent was, you know, haha, let's make an event out of us deleting the game. Meanwhile, by every other metric, fucking viewers are down, players are down, um, celebrity interactions down, and then you go over to Apex, which was meant to be the fucking Fortnite killer, right? Well, I mean, that that's that's just released a bunch of content, and everyone's kind of meh. All right. So, you know, th th this idea that um, if you can design something to be successful seems very, 
Like, there's just no example of that really in in esports at all. Like, I can't think of one esport that was created as an esport that went on to succeed as an esport. No, it's basically never happens. Mm. It's like I always say it's the other way around. People have to just make a bunch of games, and then you just get lucky if your game was one that becomes an esport. The only problem is now people obviously inorganically try to force the game to be an esport, and then the problem is like the Overwatch scenario. The real question I've had with games like Overwatch, because it's a good example to give for people who want to see like what would happen with esports games, like how big can they get if they've got like the people backing them? Because that's another part of the Riot one that is an interesting element, isn't it? Is that if you have Riot games behind it and they really want it to be a big esport, clearly they can put the initial money behind it to start yeah. a scene and have a tournament. But that's another thing people don't stop and think about is I always say this to people who are fans of Overwatch. I said to them, listen, mate, just be as brutally realistic as you can. Think about the way the game currently is. Think about how many people people they claim watch the game how many people you can play the game like how the league's doing in terms of viewership right what factors right now will change that will make those numbers go up why will it get more player base why will the numbers for the overwatch league go up why will anything they do change that and make them make a lot more money and all i'll say is this like much like everyone else i'd hope most of those people reasonably come to the conclusion there isn't any real reason why any of those things would happen. If anything, it's probably had its window and the window's probably slowly closing, which yeah. is a sad reality, but it is the reality. So for a game like the Project Day one, I get that some people might be hyped Riot behind it. Yeah, that probably means it gets a chance to try and live, but it absolutely could still end up basically like a stillborn, I guess is the equivalent in this analogy. Mm. Like I could easily see that also happening. There's also a world, by the way, as in line with what I've just said, where maybe it is the next big game and it takes over everything and maybe the future is like some hybrid of, TF2 and CS or whatever. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I, I've I see no reasons as to why it would be at the moment. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like to, I'm going to see how it pans out. I might even uh, play it and give it a dabble, even though I'm less FPS inclined these days. I've got Counter-Strike and that's about all I need. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm intrigued because clearly Riot and all of these games to land, right? I mean, you know, I almost feel that's why they've released so much shit at once. Uh, because, you know, it's like, listen, Tencent are overlords that now own all of the company. They just want to get, you know, they want to release a bunch of free-to-play games, get as many people sign up on day one, and then see which one does actually, you know, kind of prevail, see which one really takes over the genre. You know, I think the card game genre is kind of like petering out a little bit as well, because, like, beyond Hearthstone, beyond Magic, you know, what are you really going to do if Valve make their own and it absolutely flops? You know, I, I think people, you know, Gwent is a great game, but it just doesn't have enough players, enough presence uh, in the space. So releasing another one of them feels passe. I still don't know how I feel about these uh, auto battlers that are, that, that are happening. You know, they don't do a lot for me. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I think it's a great undiscovered genre that's yet to, yet to arrive. That's going to propel everything forward and I think kind of, trying to break over the ashes if you like of past genres that have kind of already got their established titles probably not the way to go if you're a games developer but again as you rightly pointed out we only saw a little bit of it and everybody's kind of like leapt up like oh it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be great it's gonna be this it's gonna be that it's like nobody really knows anything i doubt riot even know what direction it's gonna go in at this tentative stage so um the other thing uh, obviously cash the new cash is uh, is is there uh, I don't know if you've had time to have a look at it and have a hop around and stuff. I saw uh, some of the pictures, but I haven't played it or anything. Okay, so uh, what, what do you, what's your initial um, impression based on the, uh, you know, what you've seen so far? Because I, I think Cash is 
uh, going to be a welcome addition back into the map pool, frankly. I think it's been a little bit missed. I think there's some maps that kind of people are feeling a little bit played out on. I see a lot of hate for Mirage. I still don't understand it. I see a lot of hate for Dust 2. I'll never get on board with that. I think it's one of the quintessential maps in any game. It's one of the ultimately designed maps in any game. And I think with a few tweaks, it'll it'll get back there. But certainly, uh, there'd be a place for cash for me re removing a map uh, from the pool. Because I think um, when it went out of, of, of the cycle... It was in a position where it was one of the most balanced maps we had. It was, you know, we, we had periods where it was very CT-sided. We had periods where it was very T-sided. The meta shift back and forth, that people were still discovering new spokes, new ways to play. And then it got took out. And um, I was a little bit perplexed by that because I didn't really see it as being on the chopping block. Um, kind of feels that was almost like maybe a political thing or a, a Valve-driven <coughs> thing. Um, but from what I've seen, um, and I want, I'm keeping my, you know, saw the shore match as well looked at these pictures and the tweaks that have been made since then uh i i don't think the changes are going to really change the core spirit of the map very much frankly yeah the main problem for me was that when it came to removing cash when that decision was made i didn't agree with it in terms of like the eye test of watching a game at pro level or even playing it yourself like i didn't think it was like for example i thought cobblestone had a lot of good reasons to remove it like it did feel played out and stale and a lot of the issues seemed fundamental to the map not how teams played it and people are giving it a lot of time so on that grounds i would say it didn't qualify actually it was still a, a decent enough map i thought it was even decent to play it in in public in the same way as it was decent enough for pro games but it was a map that was on the end of the activity spectrum where people were avoiding it a lot which usually implies that teams think it's somehow like stylistically played out or something mm. or there's no extra room you know and so uh, the logic becomes even if you're good on it it's like you're just gambling that the other guy can beat you because it becomes like a dust two type scenario where no one can win 90 percent of the time but I thought it had its place within the sort of general map pool. Like the way I always think of the map pool, I'll reference this again in case no one's ever heard it, is I just want the map pool to have a bunch of different styles of map, you know? So like, yeah, should have yep. maps like Dust 2 and maybe even a couple of them. Just let's not have six of them. And similarly, I, I'm a, I love a map like Overpass that has a lot of tactical depth in it. But I wouldn't want all seven maps to be like Overpass. I, think I would actually ruin the game. So for me, I think a map like Cash has a place. I haven't played or seen enough pro games yet to have any clue whether these changes will be good. But I don't think it probably needed much in terms of tweaking. It just probably needs a little bit of like reinvigoration. And then you let the players go to town with all the smokes and all the stuff they do. And, and usually they figure out how to make maps good, regardless of how good they are at the beginning anyway. Mm. Yeah, and you know some some of these changes, I think you know, there's a bit more emphasis on mid battle and and, and mid controls because they've added that like uh, win window to connector, and um, you know it, it feels like A is going to be uh, a little bit easier to hold as a CT. Um, so the T's are going to need to do a little bit more. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think my worry is from the from the way it's been changed is I do feel like it could be become becoming a little bit more CT-sided in in its focus uh, with the tweaks, which I generally don't like it when maps go that way. Uh, even though you've got to play both halves, I, I like it to be as, as open as possible. Uh, but uh, honestly, I, I, the changes aren't particularly drastic, in my opinion. I don't think they'll play out as being that drastic. Like I said, when I watched the show match, which I know there's been a few more tweaks since then, it kind of felt all the choke points and all the areas of like, 
control were all like the same focus and everyone was doing the you know very similar boosts very similar executes um and that'll evolve over time but um yeah I i'll look forward to seeing it back in i think another fresh map coming in is going to be good um just in general but um it's going to be interesting to see which one goes out have you even uh hinted at which one it might be i don't believe it's been said anywhere oh yeah, yeah. well my my worry is that uh you know they're gonna kind of bow down to that like public pressure and take this two out yet again or if mirage goes i'm like i don't know what the fuck's going on like i get that mirage is one of the most played maps but that's not really a reason to take it out and like rebalance it it's probably one of the most played because people feel that you know we have a chance on we'll leave it we'll leave it in the map pool because we think we've got a chance on it even we don't specialize in that maps um yeah, I'd be, I'd be sad to see Mirage go out. Uh, right. Uh, let's get into uh, the event then. The the news that we had uh, was, of course, there was an event in uh, Rotterdam, uh, the DreamHack Open. Uh, a, a smaller event, uh, firmly in, I guess, what you would call the Tier 2. But it did have some decent teams uh, attending and uh, was probably worth talking about for that reason. Uh, first of all, we got to see the, the first look um of kind of heroic and how they were going to adapt to to life um with snappy back back in the roster and back being an in-game leader um it wasn't uh, it wasn't particularly uh convincing they did make it all the way to the final uh this is kind of like the first run out they've had with like snappy and katie in a course as well back in, in in the team um so it's an all danish roster again I think this team is certainly much weaker than the one that had Blame F in it and uh, Freiburg in it. And, I, you know, I, I don't think Heroic going to be that same kind of upset potential team. I always thought the changes that they made were very perplexing to me. I, I, I you know, I, I just can't put my finger on why they felt they needed to fuck with a roster that was consistently taking maps off people in series consistently having like unexpected upset wins in best of threes but uh they did and and now you've got <coughs> um, for me a very ordinary team and i love Kadian as a dude but i'm still a little bit i don't understand why he is sort of as highly rated as this yeah the thing with the heroic squad for me is like like, I kind of see what you mean because the last lineup they had was in terms of like the eye test, they had some upsets that looked really fucking good where they beat top teams and like best of threes and stuff. The problem was they would never ever get the actual deep placing as a result of that. They would get the upset and then they just lose themselves, partly because in the modern day, since we actually seed properly in most of the big tournaments, the ESL events, etc., it means that if you're a low seed like they often are, you're going to have a hard route. So, on the one hand, like they did show some potential, the big problem is. In that particular lineup where it was like the mixed nationalities roster, I don't really know how much further that lineup could really have gone. Because I think it was actually inevitable eventually they lost Blame F, if not mm. to a complexity. I would just assume a North, one of these teams eventually in the Danish scene levels up and pays the big bucks and gets the talent together again. So mm. I feel like it was inevitable they're going to lose him anyway. The move now is a bit curious because basically they've just gone back to being just another old Danish team. And it just looks as though like if you took the name Heroic off and you told me this was tricked or something a year ago, it would make sense, right? These sorts of names, it's not that surprising. These are the, the other people who've come up with the big names that you now know in Danish CS. These ones just didn't make it or weren't considered good enough. So yeah. I think that the roster's a bit of a bit of a whatever. Like I could see some of these players aren't terrible. I agree with you on the Kadian angle. 
I, I, what's funny is I feel like he's gone through a whole uh, reputation like 360 degrees because mm. it started out that, as we've referenced on this show before, within the Danish scene, a lot of the other pros didn't like him. And so that led to sort of a sentiment that like, oh, he must not be good because he's not in the top teams or, you know, not, they didn't seem to be very friendly to him. And that then meant that everyone thought he was pure shit and a terrible player, which I've always thought was never the case. So then all fans were sort of like irrationally set against him. But then he sort of came through that and then somehow won people over, probably with all the shit in NA with Rogue and stuff. And now has shown himself to be a decent enough player. But I would agree, going the other way, I thought his period in North was, was kind of a waste of time, really. Like, I don't, I don't really help die the party. I think they both just did what you'd expect and, and it was somewhat underwhelming. So it's not a terrible team at this level. Obviously, it should be one of the better squads here, but... I don't see it, put it this way, with how competitive and all the big roster moves in the top 10, top 15, I don't see what space there is for Heroic. Yeah, like I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I, I think there's a lot of teams out there right now which just seem to be kind of, you know, again, doing these like placeholder rosters. I, I don't really understand, uh, you know, the, the most criminal, which is Cloud9, which we'll get to a little bit later in the show. But it, I just don't understand the philosophy in that. It's like, again... You, to, to bring our lot up as an example with G2, you've got to have an idea in mind. It can't just be, I'm going to get the players that are out there and chuck enough shit at a wall and hope some of it sticks. Like you, That cannot be the plan for a long-term team success. It never works that way. Um, very rarely do you discover a gem or whatever. Um, you know, the, the reality here is with Heroic, they've been slowly kind of going backwards. And what arrested that trend was when they had this this team where they were getting, the, you know, these upsets. And then they started to tinker a little bit too much. And they lost two big-name players. And now I kind of feel they're going to fulfill their destiny to, you know, kind of swirl down the panel a little bit. I mean, sure, they made it to the final here. But keep in mind... This was a very weak field here at DreamHack Rotterdam. Um, so making it to a final probably should have been expected. The only teams you would have really placed in the final would have been a Vanguard, Heroic, and Crazy. Rest of the teams shouldn't be making any impact at a tournament like this. Um, and then, you know, Crazy had a new lineup as well, so uh, which we'll talk about now. Uh, obviously, the uh, the we've talked a lot about the of crazy living up to living up to their name but the one thing i will say is they did go out i think and get a very competent replacement for the level they were playing at for the players that they lost the g2 which was ships uh another bulgarian now ships has had some uh, very good tournaments most notably his performance at wesg um i want to say yeah. and um he's, he's you know really really stood out as being somebody that had a lot of potential uh so crazy you know they're rolling the die again on these unknown players i think there's still a much weaker lineup than the one that they had before which had the decent run at the major but they managed to retain esperanto uh they've got uh, Otto in there ships in there i don't know much about this emmy guy they've brought up i mean Emmy didn't even have a uh, for, for his HLTV profile. He doesn't even have a picture of him, like in a professional setting. Like it's just him in a t-shirt. So I I don't know too much about this guy and who he's played for. But you know they were able to win the tournament with uh, you know not too much uh, not not they didn't need to break too much of a sweat. They dropped a couple of maps. They definitely had the tougher route because they had to play a Vanguard. They had to play heroic. Uh, but they came out on top in kind of you know all of those uh, all of those games now i think the idea that 
um, this team's going to be like how it was before, where there was upset potential against Tier 1. I think that's naive. I think that's wishful thinking. If you're, for whatever reason, a crazy fan, I don't know why you would be. But um, there has to be some, I imagine. Uh, but um, this is this is a solid win for them that actually I was pretty surprised by because I kind of I kind of had a Vanguard or heroic maybe going to the finals and, and one of those two teams winning. I, I kind of felt the roster change that Crazy had made would uh, would hamper them a little bit. But you know, a tier two tournament uh, is is still more than they would have been expecting to win at the start of the year. So, uh, pretty pretty impressed all around with the games that I saw of them. I watched uh, watched a couple of series. And uh, Esperanto and Ship still look like very good players playing in a mediocre org. Yeah, I, I'll go in reverse order there. Like, I, I would definitely agree. Even despite this result, I don't think that this is a team that's going to be in the mix and that you're going to see in the big tournaments and making upset runs and all. Like, no, this should actually be like basically a tier two team that goes to DreamHack Opens and tries its luck there and can maybe win some. And one of the problems I think they have is I agree the way that they've got replacements for this team makes perfect sense. They've got the Emmy guy who's always knocking around their team anyway, and then they've got yeah, ships. Was, who's uh, the... I've been told just there in the chat that he, he was their coach at one point. Yes, but, and... I'm, but I'm sure, but I'm sure he played for another uh, Serbian or Croatian. I think I saw him years ago playing. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah um, sure. And then the ships guy basically just fits the criteria of all the other players that were in this team, like someone who is a super skilled player from a country that doesn't have all the opportunities to have a massive team and probably has good aim let's give him a go so like yeah it makes perfect sense to give that guy a try seems like it fits in line the problem is the last lineup that they had was almost like catching lightning in a bottle in terms of how many skilled players they had that's the issue i think with this squad is i think this one will way more heavily require like esperanto to be a hard carry basically and then yeah. if he does that and listen the guy's a very very skilled player clearly he's got a lot of potential but the, but the point is, actually, in the last crazy lineup, he was way more up and down. So I would like to see if he can emerge and become a great player. Maybe one day he can be a mouse slash face type player. I'm sure he can. He's got the skill for it. Just has to prove it. In terms of the squad, though, I think it's more damning of the other squads because we know that this lineup can't play together that much. They've got brand new players. They've just lost the other players. They were obviously probably in limbo for a few weeks as all that stuff went down with G2. And I had even heard before that, like obviously some of those players could have been in the new NBK team, etc. So the thing I find actually most damning is the idea that like a Vanguard doesn't win this event. Like I'm not yeah. saying that they have to win every event, but this I think this is kind of telling of that they did overshoot things when they went at the major. Like, that's just an unrealistic level to expect them to exist at. Like, they're just not that great a team. Yeah, the Vanguard uh, situation does kind of perplex me a little bit. I mean, you know, again, with, with, that, with that run they had at the major, you, you know, that, that was why, that was my thinking. I'm like, well, these guys have got to be in the final after that. Uh, but uh, here they looked really um, subdued. The, the series against Crazy, I do feel a little bit sorry for them being on that side of the brackets. Uh, and having to play crazy because I honestly think if a Vanguard played heroic or Forza or someone like that, I think they win. Um, but that you know they got the benefit of a pretty easy run at the the major, so fuck them. You should be able to beat anybody uh, at DreamHack Rotterdam, frankly. But the 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 series against uh, Crazy was um, was was one where you know Dame was back on on form, played very well. Um, you know overall. Um, still was doing his thing where, you know, is so reliant on having the AWP in his hand. Like, you know, the, the, in, in the Twitch chat, everyone's spamming fucking Gen Time and Jesus memes and all this shit. And it's like, you know, I, I wish he could add an extra dimension to his game. 
because if he if he didn't uh, if he did rather, I think he'd be you know easily like we're starting to talk about him mingling it up with his people on the on the periphery of being a, a top tier opera, but he doesn't have that in his in his arsenal. He doesn't have it in, in the locker. Uh, Buster had a pretty good series against them, pretty decent uh, tournament overall. Uh, what's been interesting is it's it's Adrian. Adrian can't find his fucking form that he was in like way back when, when Adrian was like considered one of the top players. I mean, I don't know how far back we have to go to to for it to, to be real, but it feels like in 2018, certainly he was right up there and had great runs of form and was instrumental uh, when, when he was playing, but he, he's never really arrived in this avant-garde team. Um, feels to be kind of getting, not quite to the Neo stage, not quite to the Neo stage, um, but, uh, you know, watching him play now, he does look a shadow of himself. And he's got, you know, he, there was a number of angels. Like, he can't hang with a kid like Esperanto. He can't hang with a kid like Ships. And this is where you expect the veteran smarts to, like, kind of kick in. But he, he's straight up taking these fights and getting bodied in a lot of, um, a lot of situations. And... I don't know. It's like sometimes the mind thinks of you in a way that you're not anymore. You know, it's like, you know, when, when I get out the shower and I look down and I imagine my abs that I had when I'm 20, right? They're not really there. Again, I feel like Adrian's doing that with his CS skills right now. And, and I wonder if he's going to be able to adapt as he pushes on in years. I, I think certainly the addition of him uh, to a Vanguard is, is the roster move that's kind of disappointed the most i want to say in 2019 because when he was added you're like great you've got a veteran he's gonna like help build up all these players he's he's really smart he's an intellectual player he's gonna you know be able to like lead these guys in an unofficial capacity and take them to the next level in actual fact it's it's the younger more inexperienced players on a vanguard that have been having to kind of offset his lack of performance by one or two rounds really it's it's pretty bad no i that entire thing of Adren being a key narrative within Avangar just highlighted how completely unknown Avangar was basically before that major in terms of World Counter-Strike because mm. that was the angle that everyone had to go with every fucking match. And, oh, what do you think Adren's bringing to the team? The problem is, as far as we can tell, outside of intangibles like being a veteran and telling people how you do things and blah, 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 which he could well be doing. I can't discount that. Inside the server, he is a fucking bad Counter-Strike player. Like, he's just nowhere near the, the, the level you should be at. Even for a team like this, I actually don't think he's at a good enough level. Like, it shows how far he's fallen. There's players in the CIS region, I think, should get that spot over him. So, my, one of my issues was... I realized the run at the major was the best run of Vanguard's ever, ever had. But mm. I could argue, I, I, actually, since the Sanji move turned out, this move's the bad move. Like, actually, some yeah. of the lines they had in the past were better players. So I kind of feel as though, sooner or later, they have to come to that re recognition and replace that last spot. And then, actually, that might be enough to push them over the edge and make them a competent team. They're not that far off. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, after the major run, like it just would have been nice if we could have hit the ground running and, and kind of made it to the final here, even or you know, I agree with you. I I, I felt that they could have won this tournament. 
with everything that was going on, heroic making roster change, crazy making a roster change. Avangar's got the team that they took to the major. So, you know, th th this is the one that you think really has the stability to, to push on and, and should get the results. Now, crazy or a notorious upset team. It was a 2-1 series. Yeah, it was very close. I mean, you know, you got a 16-13, 16-14, 16-10. You know, th th these all hinge on just a few mistakes. When you factor that into how poor Adrian was overall, you know, <laughs> hate to break it to you. That's pretty much the reason right there in, in a series that close. So I don't know what a Vanguard can do, but I've, I've always said right now is it should be a, an exciting time for the CIS region. I think Na'Vi are going to get back to being a, a top contender and winning uh, titles uh, and being a consistent menace. Uh, we'll talk about them in a moment. Uh, but I but I still think there's a couple of players floating wind out there that if you add them to the likes of an Avangar and you push out some of the veterans, um, you know, I, I think you're going to get maybe two or three good teams come out of CIS. It's not going to happen in 2019 like we thought, thought it would. No reason why it couldn't happen in 2020. Yeah, uh, right, next point. Uh, I got um, obviously the news here about Cloud9. Now, first of all, I Never just ends, want to, does it? I know. First of all, just in general, like it, this is starting to remind, remind me of Envy now. Uh, this is starting to remind me of Envy, uh, where they got to, where it was just like, ah, oh, right, well, we got a tournament coming up, have we? Just pick up any old player, yeah, just throw them in, throw them in there, and and just we'll just go to the event, just to you know keep the lights on or whatever. And it's got to that stage now with Cloud Nine, where you know. Listen, they've, what they've done, and I'll, I'll criticize Jack for this, what they've done since the major is they've let a great team go follow. And the criminal part of it is they don't commit to in-game leaders and give them a chance. They don't commit to in-game leaders and give them a chance at all. And, um, you know, FNS, what was he in there for, like 32 days or something? It was a very short amount of time, yeah. Yeah, like that's going to be one of the shortest in-game leader appointments in the history of the game. Now the DAPs, they're already starting to make changes. Like, they, for those that didn't see the news, uh, this is Tens is now out and replaced him with um, Sabrosa. Now, put it this way, I'd be very surprised if DAPs wanted to cut Tens this soon, given how DAPs has been the guy publicly talking about Tens as being this new upcoming player, like super talented, got loads of potential. And yes, he hasn't delivered on it yet, but... What what are we talking about here? Like how like how long has he been in the team for? Certainly not that long, uh, you know. And it, it seems to me that this is a team that hasn't even found its identity yet. This is a roster that, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks looks here like yeah, he was picked up in July. It's fucking October, and he's and he's cut. Like is 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 he is a young talent? You know, you've got automatic in there. You've got Cooster in there. You've got Mixwell in there. This is going to take a while to blend. Like, you just had Rush go out and get replaced. And, you know, you just been, you're just bringing in players who've been inactive for a while. It's like, I know, it seems very bizarre to just cut tens, who does seem to be a prospect. Now, I'll also add, right, because there's been a lot of weird stuff going on uh, with, with tens. He's had a pretty poor rating at these tournaments despite being what formerly looked like a pug star he's been playing below a one on hltv 
there was a load of there was a load of like, clips coming out of him going up on like, fact sucks and getting circulated around on like Twitter saying oh look why is he how can he do this in like pickup games but he can't do this at LAN. Then there was people there was someone spamming me and spamming forums and just being one of them obsessives because he claimed he discovered that tens had bought a Steam account or something and it just seemed like all these things were happening at once. At the, at a time when his form was dropping off, why do they do that? By the way, where like any random person that comes over the most minor detail that might imply someone cheats instantly transforms into like fucking Rorschach from Watchmen. Is like I must get to the bottom of the truth, no matter what the cost. Like and just like ruins their own life. People, of free. course, who say that me and you were outrageous for uh, implying that there was something dubious in that Doc Kid's history. You still, I know. still, still waiting for this ascension of pro that he's going to make. By the way. Um, like you know, just ridiculous. So, so yeah, people were spamming me, and I was, I was, listen, I couldn't give less of a shit about this. That whole doc thing was like a fucking bad Black Mirror episode. Oh, well. no, like it was almost like the entire thing was fake, just like created as a psyop to fuck with us or something. Like. I know. At least, at least it did turn out that his head wasn't a football manager generated face, which is good. He wasn't. He wasn't a regen in football manager, which is fine. I'm. I'm. I take that back. He is not a. He. he that's his real head whoever that dog guy is that's his real head so um but but yeah this is this is something where it's like this is how you know they're just out of shit they're just out of a the the directionless you're benching tens you're bringing in sabrosa so we're picking up like ghost rejects now that's where cloud nine is 2018 we're winning mages 2019 we're picking up ghost cast offs um it's it's i don't know like at this point, and I, I, this is what I said about Envy, so I'll be consistent, and obviously me and Jack get along. It can't make a difference if you want to apply things um, the, 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 like evenly and equally. The reality is at this point, you may as well just sell automatic and trash this team. You, you just may as well, because it's clear you don't have an idea where you're going. Um, it's clear you don't you haven't given any thought as to where you want the team to be in three months you don't even know what your roster is going to be in three months there's no uh there's no consistency here <coughs> and it, it's just it's just not the standard cloud nine should set itself in counter-strike this is basically they're behaving like united you, you know a, a team a team that an org that has no pedigree in the space they're behaving like envy at the end when we all knew all hastro really gave a fuck about was his you know sucking on the franchise teats mm, can i be the king of dallas please can i just rule everything in dallas with your bullshit made up franchise leagues with my vc money please like and he just didn't give a fuck about cs so uh, to see cloud nine who have repeatedly said that they care and they want to do well in Counter-Strike and they want to build a team. Compare this, by the way, to the efforts Jason Lake's going to over at Complexity and just look at the Cloud9 lethargy, right, and their results and then look at Complexity and how hard they're working with, you know, less pedigree, you know, less, less, I'd even say less talent on the roster because they don't have a star player in the form of automatic, you know, if they did, we're to, you know, complexity would probably just leapfrog above Cloud9 right now. Um, it's just a weird time to be a Cloud9 fan. And I think, honestly, <coughs> just, just if it, when it gets to the stage where we're bringing in Subrosa and we're stipulating it to trial publicly, just, just give the fuck up. What are we doing here? 
Yeah, I think what's depressing for me about the Cloud9 situation is, like, first of all, some of the talent that they had in that musical chairs scenario for the last couple of years was good people. It was people like Flasher, Kiyoshima. Like, these are yep. these were pieces you want to keep at least one or two of these. And unfortunately, you ended up with none of them. So that is super disappointing already. Like, that was the basis to have a good team. Even then, if someone tells me, right, we're going to start a team, you have automatic, daps. I'm like, I'm already liking the start of this. This isn't fucking bad, actually. Yeah, yeah it's not bad. Yeah. Problem is beyond that, what have you got? And as you say, the, beyond that, it can't just be ex-ghost players like Sobrosa and Kooster are back. Like, that isn't good enough. Like, they haven't suddenly become super good players in the meantime. In fact, the reason they're rejects is they were actually didn't make it at that level even. They were considered surplus to requirements at the fucking lower level. So all I would say is this, is... I think the next, I'll say next six to eight months will tell you a lot about where Cloud9, the entire org is in esports. Because for mm. people who don't follow other esports, in LCS, where obviously it was their origin place in esports, the League of Legends team in North America, it's actually quite well known within the League of Legends space that even though they have one of the better teams, they actually have like a very good scenario in terms of like, they don't have tons of huge contracts and stuff like that. They've basically done like a very good job of min-maxing, like a team good enough to have a chance to win LCS without like overpaying, which is what the team mm. squad does in League of Legends. Then you go over into Overwatch, literally days ago, it was announced that like the London Spitfire, which is their Overwatch League team, has sold a whole bunch of their absolute best players in a manner which implies they don't want to be a big spender in Overwatch because the players they're selling are the equivalent of selling like Simple and Glaive. Like we're talking like these sorts of players that like, you only sell those players if you are desperate for money or you want to get the fuck out of the game. Like you don't, if you intent on staying around, the logic, and it's the same in sports, goes you can never actually replace like Simple, can you? No one's going to, like, no one's going to trade yeah. you Nico for Simple. They're going to trade you someone worse or they're going to pay you and you have to go and find your own Simple after that. So I would just say, if you look generally at where they're going at the moment, like the CS team in some ways was ahead of this. They already were on what seemed like cost-cutting measures a while ago, waiting to do a gamble where it actually is worth injecting the money. So to me, the, the reason why the next six to eight months is where you watch is because by then, everything will have come out about what's going to happen with this third league or whatever this NA owner league people have heard about is. Yeah. And obviously, you think of some of the orgs that, from NA that would want to be involved. Cloud9 is one of the names you'd have on that list. So to me, that'll really tell you how much they they... And want to be a big player in esports because if that league is something that motivates them to get a team then they can be a big player in Counter Strike. obviously these guys can get all the vc they want they can make all the investment they want they still have a big enough name that they can get big signings but mm. if they choose not to go hard because as far as i can tell some of the other teams for those leagues will go hard because some of them don't even have teams yet like some of the names we've all heard rumors about coming into cs have no squad so we know those teams in theory are going to spend millions making a squad so for me this is really like the shit i'll get off the pot moment for cloud nine they'll either come back to me in the top team within the next next year or they'll just be happy to keep a foot in the door and just for a while try and sort of money ball it as it were well i mean yeah the thing with money ball <laughs> is though there was a statistical basis for it like if anyone's ever watched you know the movie or read the book the way the money ball principle worked was they had this unbelievably sophisticated database of statistics this is the key thing like whenever people talk about money ball in esports show me what research you're doing to to warrant these pickups to to justify picking up these players in the first place you're not doing any of that you don't have a database that proves that um yeah it's get a line in there i like it mate just nice on on do it on stream spread them rumors fine 
my channel banned for allowing somebody to beak up on fucking <laughs> on Twitch. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, I want to see the database where you've measured. Oh, it turns out Cooster actually throws uh, better flashbangs than anyone else in World Counter Strike, and that's why we're adding him. Or you know, there isn't any there isn't any reason to it. There isn't. It's just literally we just he's available. We need five. Let's get him. Let's try him. And it's in, in the proof is there in tri trial. You're putting a fucking trial tag on this motherfucker. It's ridiculous. So um, for me, like I say, I think it's a very dark time if you're a, if you're a Cloud9 fan. I feel like I've been saying that for a while now. But it just, you know, at least with the development of 10s, you're like, okay, they're trying to develop some new talent. They're going to ride it out for a while. I can't justify his performances. I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't attempt to. But I, but I think I, I, I don't see what you're getting by bringing Sabrosa into this lineup. Um, that's instantly going to fix all of the problems that Cloud9 have uh, moving forward. So very strange move for me and, and honestly feels a little bit regressive. I don't know what happens to Tens now as well because he's on the bench. So it kind of feels like he's another player that's just gone from gets his first big shot straight into contract gulag. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, so yeah, the other thing that you alluded to there, and we, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, was these uh, leagues uh, that are coming up. Uh, we know obviously a few of them have been announced and there's been some reporting. Because the news has been coming thick and fast, we never actually got round to talking about uh, the Valve rules that were implemented as a, uh, to basically prevent conflict of interest and things like this in the league. So just to give you a bit of background for those who missed it, what happened was the uh, there was an, a big announcement that MTG, the parent company that owned DreamHack, ESL, ESCA, a few other things besides, they were going to basically bring everything together into a cohesive circuit with actually the prize money... Um, being you know, pretty much the same, just a little bit higher. But it, they made they give this, this big announcement, made it sound like it was like, oh fucking hell, everyone's going to be a part of this. And the term sheet got leaked, I think, by DK. And basically, the term sheet said that um, if you played in this league, you couldn't play in any other league like it, uh, any league that was direct comparable. So there's, you know, by by that it would have been ECS. <coughs> Would have been this the blast league that's coming out would have been this na league that keeps getting floated that's supposed to exist so valve very shortly after that term sheet got leaked we we got the blog where they talked about the broadcasting rights which got discussed kind of ad infinitum ad nauseum uh, because it affected a lot of community figures and that problem still hasn't been resolved but they did come out and say listen uh the quote was uh basically at this time we are not interested in providing licenses for events that restrict participating teams from attending other events. Which literally means if ESL stick to that term sheet, Valve will not give them the license to use CSGO to do it. Valve have a long history of being anti-exclusivity when they were very pro-me and used to talk to me a lot more than they do now. Uh, it was mainly because of the work that... Um, you know, I'd been doing and kind of shutting down all these exclusivity leagues. The problem I think we've got right now is... Again, there's. I almost feel exclusivity. It's a problem, but it's a problem that offers a solution to another problem that we're going to have if we don't start figuring out where the fuck we're headed as the scene. 
Um, so I was, I, I was, I was very ambivalent about this. I, I think it's good that finally Valve got ahead of something for a change, but equally as well, is it the worst thing in the world if? You know, some teams play in one league, some teams play in another league, and the only time we ever see those two teams meet each other happens to be at Valve Majors. I don't know. I mean, I personally wouldn't want it. I know it's mm. it's actually a, it's a it's a valid take. Like I know Moses has a similar theory where he thinks basically like one of the problems with oversaturation is that teams play too often. He wants it to be more like you know you build up a storyline. So for example, he actually thinks in the circuit it's good where every event isn't all the same top teams. That you know basically what I think he would want is like a more reasonable version of Australis skipping tournaments where if Australis had skipped one tournament but then everyone else was there, you'd see who the best is except Australis. Then if the next tournament everyone except team liquid goes you get to, you know and then eventually the idea is they meet at the third or the fourth line and it's like a, a yeah. way to again keep my like, interest in storylines but not have the storyline be one that's already played out in many iterations before i'm not personally that sure the problem is i've never actually seen that system like work because the main problem in esports at the moment is you either have an awesome super open circuit like Dota and League and CSGO, or you go super restrictive like Overwatch and LCS, which means you play like two things in a year. Now, unfortunately, there's no real middle ground, so I don't really know what it would look like to have like a proper middle ground. So I'm not against the concept. And I actually think generally it leads into the main topic of these leagues, which is it's about compromise. The problem is... <coughs> And I don't care any fan thinks that I don't know what I'm talking about or that they know better than me. You don't, but here's the information. So um, people who are TOs, ESL, DreamHack, fucking uh, Blast, all of them cannot afford to keep running this current system. Like it's just a way to wreck yourself completely and to basically gamble and play chicken financially against each other and see who gets pushed out the market. So they can't afford the current system. So one of the solutions is try and get exclusivity angles so that and you can make your league worth more yours can be marketed more your rights are worth more i can see the point of the angle similarly if you are a team in esports a cloud nine and sk gaming and ibr you also are losing fuck tons of money so you also want some kind of a method a league a tournament where hopefully there's increased potential for you to share revenue and to make money and therefore stem some of the bleeding hopefully one day actually make a profit that would be a novel thing so at the moment it's obviously completely aligned that these groups will work together tos and, and teams will find a way since they both need each other in this scenario the to obviously needs the teams to make an interesting event and the teams need sick tournaments to ever make this rev share it's inevitable they're going to work together the question is just how one-sided is the relationship like if it's like the exclusivity that we were going to have back in 2015 it would have been very one-sided and even though at the time they would have thought they had a great deal i was talking about this to someone the other day you look back now at what they were offering imagine if they'd have fucking succeeded they'd have gotten the whole scene for almost fuck all yeah. like what they actually offered was like it was like less than two million dollars or something for the total prize plus yeah. or something like compared to now it's chicken feed but basically for me the main point to make is this is like being in a building where the bottom floors are all on fire. Like, There's no way to stay in the current situation. You have to go up or you have to go out. That's the only way. So the scenario is you're either going to level the scene up and we're going to make new leagues and hopefully they're all really good. And with the Valve ruling, I would hope it just becomes some sort of a Cold War stalemate where they can all exist and somehow battle each other but without conquering and overwhelming each other. 
And I would just say that is my philosophy on it is, listen, in an ideal world, I was fine with how Kautschek was 10 years ago in the scene we had. But yeah. I know that the way we've gone now and the way we've especially accelerated inflation of salaries, we cannot stay in the current situation. So we have to make strides towards helping some of these companies have a chance to make money, which will mean, unfortunately, some compromises. But all I'll say is this, from the little that I know behind the scenes and hopefully in the future I'll have more information, I've actually heard some positive things about certain things about the way some of these leagues might be structured that might be better, actually. There'll probably be downsides because, as I say, it's compromised. It's not going to be like business as usual. But I also think it can't be business as usual is my take on it. Yeah, and listen, it gets to... It, there's it, Because of the language in the Valve statement, there could be a way around it. Um, they say they will not provide license for events that restrict participating teams. All right. I can't give them the stick. I'll give them the carrot. If you only play in our league, we give you a financial bonus. There we are. Problem solved. Yeah, you chose not to play the others. Yeah, exactly. Then then it's their choice. If you only play in our league, we give you like an extra revenue share or we give you an upfront pay, uh, payment. Which essentially is what Blast did. It's a soft exclusivity. Yeah. You don't literally tell the person you can't play this tournament, but he just chooses not to, and that coincidentally is what you wanted anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think um, I think there's definitely ways around it. For me, look, there's a lot of people in the chat like going, oh, it's a fucking heel turn. Richard's always been against exclusivity. Look, let me, let me just tell you, right? Uh, everyone's been saying for the longest time, um, online Counter-Strike doesn't matter. We don't really watch it. Viewership's been in decline uh, for online g games, even when big teams are playing. ESL, to try and combat that, remember, basically turned it into LANs. The teams now go to a studio and play, and everyone went, oh, well, this is brilliant. Well, let me tell you guys, you're not watching the games enough because yeah. when I tune into the fucking ESL viewerships of what is essential, you know, these games, top teams from across the world playing each other in a LAN environment, it's like you guys don't give a fuck because you're treating it like it's another throwaway online game that's ultimately meaningless in the grand scheme of things, just a long, drawn-out qualifier. You know, these are playing in a LAN environment. You know, like, the, the there's been so much... Uh, going on in, in, in the ESL Pro League this, this time around. Of course, it doesn't help that Face It refused to fucking play nice. Um, and they still insist on having ECS just lying over the top of ESL, creating problems for teams, dividing up the viewership, um, showing that there will only be perpetual warfare between tournament organizers and Counter-Strike. It's... Um, it, it, this is... This isn't... This is why... I have started leaning towards uh, this idea of I think we need to start breaking things apart and creating special occasions again in Counter-Strike because, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is you have a top team play against another top team in the ESL Pro League, 40,000 people watch it, and those same two teams go at it again in ECS two days later and 25,000 people watch it. And it's like, this is, uh, there was, so during, um, I can't remember what it was. It was probably all the brouhaha with the Overwatch fans having mass psychosis and going after me. There were a lot of people like tweeting at me um, and asking about Counter-Strike, right? And saying, do you have like a regular season? Because obviously the Overwatch season just never ends. It's like, right, phase one. It's like, wait, does anyone win? No, that's just phase one. Phase two. Does anyone, what are, phase three. It's like, fuck, you know, what is this baseball? We're like 160 games a fucking season. Yeah, it turns out it is. And they wonder why they got to play a burnout early retirement problem over there. Because it's just a content delivery system. Because that's how they think about it. It's just to slap ads on, guys. They don't give a fuck about 
anything else. They just got to promise a return for all the fucking idiots that invested for 20 to 30 mil a, a pop. Um, but anyway, they were asking me, well, what's, what's your regular fucking season in, in Counter-Strike? Like, what do you watch? And I'm like, well, it should be these. <laughs> it should be the ESL Pro League. It should be ECS. It sh they should be broken up by having, like, these big IEMs and, you know, <coughs> dream hacks, dare I even say, and maybe an ESEA and this and that. And, but and then a major and it's like that isn't how it plays out at all we just get a clustered uh you know few months of like everyone's playing in everyone else's online leagues and ladders you can't keep up with the results teams by the way once they realize they don't qualify just like yeah, forfeit in the rest of the games fuck this just so they can have a break it, it, you know you get in situations that we have with vitality where everyone got super pissed off at them like not taking it seriously and clowning around it, it, this it, there's so many problems with it and exclusivity does create a problem, but it definitely fixes one or two as well. And I, I just don't know which one is is the bigger problem right now in Counter-Strike because we're about to enter into a very weird time. We're going to have... There's a lot of developers that are going to start getting their shit together and releasing secondary games or dropping games off. We need to be primed to either take an influx of refugees from another eSport or we need to be primed to have something new and shiny that gets all of the viewership up. We just had peak players, uh, the highest it's been since 2017, I want to say, recently. Uh, and that's because of all the skins coming out and the 20th anniversary and all of that stuff. We're not utilizing any of this. That's the problem. The, the growth potential for CS uh, feels capped. And I, you know, I, I want the games at least to attract big viewership when, they sh when they're great games. And no one's watching them in their current format. Maybe if you break things up, maybe that cajoles people into doing the right thing and tuning in. Because you might not see, say, for example, uh, an Astralis and a Fnatic. You might only get to see that game at a major. Well, now it means something. It means something incredibly profound. But as things stand, I, I probably see that, what, two, three times a month? Maybe two, you know, certainly at least twice. It's by the way, one thing you were referencing there that I have to say it really does fucking suck, and no one could have predicted it, unfortunately, mm -hmm. is the response to ESL making ESL Pro League offline. This is yeah. something where every single year of ESL Pro League, in fact, and since the beginning of CSGO, because we had loads of online leagues in the early days before we had proper big land circuit, <clears throat> people used to always complain about online play. Oh, it's just meaningless, doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. Wish it was like LCS from a studio. ESL did it all. They made it offline. They made it from a studio. And this season, you might have even seen all the players raving about how you get like furnished accommodation that you just stay in for weeks and weeks instead of a hotel room. You you get to basically be in like a proper little fucking like apartment and enjoy yourself as though you were at home and, and you know in theory make it a bit more amenable to be there for weeks and weeks do all this stuff and as you say it hasn't had any effect whatsoever and i know for a fact by the way for example another thing it costs them because it's now a LAN. now they have to pay yeah. more like the normal rate for the talent as well yeah. before they used to get a deal because they were just in an office you know like some studio just doing a bunch of games at night and given the old mates rates just some game they knew people wouldn't be watching so that's yeah. an example of where everyone would have told esl they wanted that all the fans would have reddit would have players would have and then when they got it it hasn't had any effect. And as you say before, the most, I think to me, the most damning 
indictment of the fact that it hasn't had any effect is people don't act as though ECS is even that much different. And yet ECS is just all online. One's a totally offline tournament and people still act as though they're, two, they're just the two yeah. online leagues. It's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah, and, and this, and like I said, there's been some, there's been some unbelievable storylines like coming out of, you know, I want to say both leagues, honestly, but you wouldn't really know about them. It's like when you listen to people talk, when you read forum comments, when I see my Twitter engagement, basically what happens is people are just going, yeah, there's nothing really going on. You know, even I'm doing it. You know, when we tweet out, like it's been a slow news week because we just never talk about the online leagues. Um, but meanwhile, you know, you've got a resurgent Navi like crushing it. I mean, there's like, there's definitely stuff to talk about, and there's been some great games. Um, but it, as things stand, I, I feel it doesn't capture the imagination because I, this constant battle between ECS and ESL doesn't help anyone. The fact that I think ESL, they probably do need, unfortunately, to put a bit more pizzazz into the regular broadcast um which you know it's still one of the most polished ones we've got in csgo but they, they probably need to tweak it a little bit but the reality is people are just played out with seeing the same teams going at it week in week out at the big events it matters more when they do it offline in air quotes it matters less and uh i i don't know dude i think if you had a league where like i say you know let's say it was this way around you had the top na teams and the you know okay european teams and the top european teams and the okay na teams and they like you know we're going at it in their two separate leagues and then there was the next tournament that came around you know an iem or, or whatever the the invites were kind of precipitate you know so esl say cologne actually because it's kind of a major without being a major. The invites to that were precipitated on like who had the top four slots in these online leagues. And then because those two sets of teams never play each other, but they are going to play at ESL Cologne. And, but suddenly ESL Cologne, an event that didn't need a shot in the arm at all because it's always straight fucking fire. Well, now it's even more straight fucking fire because it's big prize money. We're going to see teams <coughs> that haven't played each other for like three months or whatever constitutes a season going at it. And meanwhile, because of exclusivity, you can leverage the content in the league. Like, this is the only place you're going to see Astralis. This is the only place you're going to see Cloud. So they can leverage money on that basis. Um, so it's, a, it's just a tough one for me. Because obviously, this could all be resolved if TOs wouldn't just fucking fight to the death over what were at one point table scraps. Yeah, it was justified back then. You were literally fighting for your lives. You're not now. So I don't know why you're still bringing the same fucking swagger. Like, you know, it, it, it's it's like, you know, Rick Grimes, he stopped blowing motherfuckers' heads off and all that shit, didn't he? Once once this built the fucking farm. You know, once things... Obviously, it all went wrong. Spoiler. Yeah, but that that's exactly the problem you've just nailed there, though, in my opinion, is that to someone who isn't a T.O., I mean, I've had this conversation so many times with people who are like in big teams and stuff. And all they ever say is something I would agree with, which is why can't the TOs, the really big ones, let's say the top three or four, just get together and say, here's the year, let's be reasonable. I'll have this part, you have that part. I'll have this part, you have that part. Right, divide it up like a normal circuit. There are many working examples, the ATP, obviously whatever the fuck they have in um, golf. I can't remember what that one's called. Some, mm. some, some, 
Oh, that is ATP, actually. I'm thinking of the yeah. golf, tennis one or whatever. whatever. Yeah. All of them, we all know the names. The idea is you get a bunch of different tournaments, but by co making a coherent circuit, you can all have success and you can have the smaller points and you can have this wax and win that you need to have a, like people to have stamina as fancy or sport. The problem is, and this is the issue to me, is even though right now it's mad scarcity and everyone's having to struggle to live, that also makes a certain type of person in the world think, well, I could work with everyone else to fix these things, mm. but maybe I could fuck them over in the next six months and then there's twice as much yeah. for me. And that's what they all still think, sadly. So until they all realize that they can't just fuck everyone else over and take over the entire scene themselves, probably keep playing out this way, unfortunately. No, but this is why, again, if Valve are going to... Right. Valve always say, we're, we're hands-off. Right? and Well, they don't even say that. They're so hands-off, they don't even stipulate that they're hands-off. They're just hands-off. So it's like, okay, great. Happy happy that that's the case. But then whenever it comes to this, you know, you're going to... you. It, it does seem just a tad contradictory. You're saying that you're, you know, want, want everything to be open and you don't want people to be, like, leveraging each other. Um, but but equal and, and you want you want everything to just be you know let's all play nice let's all figure it out. Then meanwhile, when it comes to like the media rights issue, you're very much in bed with the TO's requirement to make money. You're gonna fuck over the community to side with the TO that is running the major. You know, even though it contradicts your stance on Dota, another game in your portfolio. So if you understand the necessity for leagues to make money and that one of the principal ways they do it is through broadcasting rights, then surely you must also understand they need to make money when they run leagues. And one of the principal ways you would do that is by generating some interest through leveraging an exclusivity deal. Now, the reason I was absolutely vitriolically against um, exclusivity in 2015, say, for example, is because, first of all, the scene was still honest if we're honest about it in its infancy we just had one year really of having anything that resembled actual money coming into it and the the reality was there was something very weird about the fucked up clandestine way that they put it together that esl basically invited all of the top uh, team owners into a private secret meeting in the Twitch offices <coughs> in California and they brought Vulcan as well along if you remember them right to supposedly do the fantasy aspect of it all and you stuck them all in a room top secret and they were all going to sign a deal they were all going to just make an exclusivity league and drop it on the community. Well, no, I am exposing that. This shit shouldn't be done in secret. We should, you should be transparent about, you should be telling people we actually need some form of exclusivity and this is why. And the reason I'm against it when the Blast is doing this soft exclusivity is because, first of all, they've done it in an already crowded space. Second of all, they've done it with an absolute garbage format. Uh, third of all, they've done it deliberately uh, predicated on the fact that they've already got the number one team in their stable, you know, because they just fortuitously happened to be uh, the, the Danish team that they invested in. And fourth of all, they're a bunch of shady cunts that have continually tried to break uh, conflict of interest rules every opportunity they've got. If you showed me a trustworthy, benevolent, 
um, business savvy company that were going to come in and run an exclusivity league that was going to generate money for everybody involved in it. I don't think I'd have a problem with it. The, the, the reality is that has never existed in esports and certainly not in CSGO because Valve is so hands-off. Everyone treats it like the fucking Wild West. Everyone wants to be Wyatt fucking Earp rolling into town. I'm not a sheriff. Okay, I'll be a sheriff for a little bit. I'm fucking gunning everyone down. It, it's, you know, that's what I've always had a problem with. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, like, this this creates... We're going to have maybe three or four of these exclusivity leagues in 2020. But but they're just not exclusivity leagues anymore. So what, So how do they make money? Oh, well, we'll go back to the VC money pit, I guess. Like, we're creating something really fucking awful if we don't start getting our revenue stream sorted out. I, do you want us to go the way of these franchise leagues? Like, how they're going to go? Because this is how you get it, by the way. All right. No, Whatever, you made your point. Definitely not baked or anything like. But no, the, the reality is, if you create, if you create a, a league where you pump a ton of money into it, and you create no value to leverage back, so you can get, you can generate revenue off. <clears> it, <throat> well, we there's a chance that these leagues could go under before some of these franchise leagues. Sure. But at least the franchise leagues, it's it's bullshit, but they are creating fake value by just having an endless stream of content, cooking the books, cooking the numbers. No one's doing that in CSGO. Like you you look well, they are when the major comes rolling around the course, and then it's like, well, you know, even though everyone can see the Star Ladder Major, the lowest viewership of a major in a long time. If we had these Chinese viewers, which were definitely watching, fucking hell, we've just brought the record again. Record growth. You know, everyone's doing that every year. But um, I will say, though, one thing that might be an interesting distinction for people is one of the reasons why everyone's so horny to do this in CSGO is because Valve themselves don't have any interest in doing their own league and their own esports like product, as it were. And they're willing to let the scene be run by third party entities. And so the interesting detail of that to me is the part that no one ever speaks about because there's certain things there are certain truths people do not say in the mainstream because they make the dream of esports disappear they show that it's a phantom and so one of them is forget the idea of it can esports succeed or fail right mm. what's ridiculous is that's not even what we're testing what we're testing is can developer run esports succeed or fail yeah. because one of the biggest impediments to success in all the big esports leagues i'm aware of is the fucking developer because in most cases they don't even have the same interests aligned no. like for example if their main money maker is the casual side of the game they don't have the same interests as you in the competitive side of the game to make the competitive side better, sometimes at the cost of the casual side to make more money on the esports side of the equation. So that's why, in my opinion, games like League of Legends and Overwatch, from day one, they were just dead the moment they were born. Like They could have never made it because the, the person who you're relying on to make all the deals for the league and to structure the league properly and to do all the rules to make the integrity of the league brilliant basically makes all their money not from your fucking league. Like, I think that's a huge problem so one thing i will say is if the right people can make leagues in counter-strike at least they would have a self-interest to make the league itself pop off and have viewers and make money etc actually some of the game devs wouldn't 
And I know that whole angle still exists. Just like every year after TI, we all go, why can't there be a TI in CS? In the same way, we're all going to say a million times, why does Valve just do the Dota Pro circuit? But like, I think you just have to accept already that as with so many other things in Dota and Valve, they're not going to do it for CS. Like, that's just a separate thing that then they're not interested in making in CS. Well, they, they, they had a little subtle swipe at people that think that way. But by the way, I think there should be a Valve uh, endorsed world championship that stands out from other tournaments on the circuit. I mean, for me, if you had a TI-style event at the end of the year, I'd take that over two majors, frankly. Uh, now, I wouldn't take it over three, but we don't do three anymore. So I'd definitely take it over too. Something that just brought the end of the year together, crowned a world champion, life-changing amount of money. Uh, I think that'd be better. But whatever. Uh, Valve don't want to go that way. And they actually threw in a little barb at people that think that, like that because they said tournament items for this major will pay out over $11 million for participating teams and players. Now, what's interesting is that might be true. That might even be a record amount. And it's certainly like, oh, when you frame it like that, wow, $11 million for participating teams and players. But what they leave out of that is that when you talk to the teams that have gone to multiple majors in a row, they'll tell you every year it's diminishing returns. That the first year you're in is your biggest, or the first time you're in, is the biggest amount of money you'll make in sticker sales and in-game cosmetics. And then when you come back the next time, it's less. And when you come back the next time, it's less. And then it's less and it's less. And it keeps on going until it becomes very negligible. It's a benefit to the players. Certainly of little worth to the organizations with the amount of money they're spending. So um, there has to be, for me, something a little bit more. Like... I would, I would just like to have, and again, it it's mind blowing to me that Riot Games are going to create something like like this ahead of, of Valve in in CS:GO. But it would just be nice to have like big tournament comes rolling around. Why do I not have a commemorative? thing in the game you know like i say like the compendiums sure. where you buy the stickers and you can do fantasy and all of this it just seems like valve you like money we know that we know that's why as soon as artifact fucked up the first game you'd made in god knows how long you very quickly pivoted to jumping on that fuck don't run the lords yep we were all about that throw everything all hands on deck don't run the lords and you put out a very janky mobile looking game in rapid time because you needed to get into that market and just try and salvage and offset some of the fucking money you'd lost on or, or rather the potential money you'd lost on artifacts i'm sure you still made a fucking profit because you're valve um but the reality is you would have to buy like stickers pods drops follow the games log into the games you're already doing something that's a piss weak version of this anyway where ah, i have to upgrade my coin so i gotta do this and i gotta do that like the these players by the way are selling their image rights for fuck all so if you're putting if you're giving them a cut of sticker money anyway why not cut them in for like baseball cards and have like limited edition gold ones that people can sell on the market where everyone gets a cut of that and stuff like this this cannot be that difficult to implement and 
it would generate a bit more interest, a bit more reason to watch the game, a bit more content. There's more like a souvenir aspect to the mages. Right now, it's just like I pay $14.99 so I can maybe get a fucking Dragon Law. That's what we've got in comparison to what people have in Dota. And it's just like, it's just fucking sickening, honestly. Like, just how content-starved we are. There's um, one reason, though, by the way, to hope that the Project A thing becomes a viable alternative, is maybe competition's the only way that'll get Valve to pull their finger out and actually fucking do something. What's well, interesting, because the history doesn't necessarily point to that either, right? Like, I, I, with, with Valve... They're a big FOMO company for sure. Like, they don't want to miss out on stuff. Like, when they saw there was a potential, like, that was why when they when they took Dota 2, they were like, listen, we'll we'll go to war. They had that ridiculous lawsuit where even Riot filed, like, a nuisance patent claim to try and stall it out. But they took Blizzard to the cleaners on that. And that's why it, it's Dota and not Defense of the Ancients and had to make some concessions and change the name of some characters. But Dota were like, this is a mod. You've got no claims. We swooped in. We've done it. You know, suck all the corporate dicks. Um, so they don't like to miss out on things that they know can make money. They did, and, and this Underlords uh, thing with the, you know, Dota Auto Chess, there was as many people playing Dota Auto Chess at one point, and certainly more people streaming it on Twitch than there were people playing actual Dota. So they were monitoring that. And I think they thought they were going to do a deal with the original makers, then Epic Games swooped in, and then suddenly Riot Games, because, you know, if Riot Games have an original idea in their fucking head, the world will just stop. <laughs> like, what they do is, Riot Games just take other people's ideas, simplify them, refine them, if you want to be generous about it, and, uh, and, and make money off them. That's what they've done. You know, sure, we've only got one game to go off it, but even the features and stuff in that game, they did it with TFT. They come in, boom, right? So once that hit hit up and running and you had 700,000 people watching it on Twitch or whatever the fuck it was on its launch, then it's like, okay, Valve were like, shit, Epic Games have done a deal with the original developers. Riot Games have fucking done us again. Right, we, we've got to get our shit together. So, yeah, they're a fear of missing out company. But in terms of, like, like for like, will we, do we want to compete with people? No, they openly pretty much say that they don't. They they do things, once the product's there, they do things their way and monetize their way. And I don't think anybody is going to light a fire under Valve's ass to start committing to doing more in CSGO. I mean, it was fed to me. I was doing a podcast with Nahaz the other day. And uh, the, the the postulation was, oh, isn't it great that we finally got an active Twitter account and they're interacting with people and they're blogging more regularly? I'm like, that's the fucking baseline for a video games developer in 2019. You know, the old Valve, we all know the old Valve's gone anyway. We all know that Half-Life 3 is something that if you're ever going to do it, it's going to be in fucking VR or not at all. We all know that you're a very different beast to what you were when you first came out when you were making all of these games. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to also move with the times a little bit. You can't just stay on your fancy fucking island saying, well, we, we have a fat management system, so we do things differently. So we are unique. Yeah, they'll write books about you till the cows come home. But right here, right now... There's going to be a raft of new titles coming out, and you're letting old ones like Counter-Strike go fallow. You're letting them go to seed. It's, I don't know, man. I feel like, and, 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 on, and on top of that, occasionally just sticking your finger in the fucking gumbo whenever anyone tries to make something that's sustainable. It's, it's, it's almost like they want it to die, and then, you know, 
They're going to just push out another half-assed fucking version of, of CS so we get two more years of like what the beta of CS Core was. It does almost feel like like one of those guys is just waiting for CS to finally die and then he can go, right, now I can, now I can play Dota as well. <laughs> it's just that... I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me at this point. It's just... It's like you say, like... I, Obviously, CS people shouldn't complain because you look over at, like, TF2 and we've got a good compared to those guys. But we're, get, we're getting into this kind of realm where it's like, this is a top-tier eSport. This is one of the most watched games in the world. This is one of the most played games in the world. And it's still not being... It's, it's not reaching its full potential because the developer's kind of disinterested and anybody that tries to elevate it gets shit on by the disinterested developer or the community and sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong the thing that i can't that kills me always about counter-strike and valve i'll never be able to get over this is when you look at the sheer amounts of like you just look at the raw revenue that the game makes it's in the billions like it's, the amount it's made is amazing for a video game for a competitive game and it's like I don't know what could actually possibly change that would ever make Valve be more interested in like embracing it. Basically, like to me, the idea that when it hit its prime a few years back, you weren't just spamming it with maps and operations and f cosmetics and going really ham is is amazing to me. Like like the like the how slow they are with developing a map or anything new like that. It's it just beggars belief. Like, as I say, I don't know what motivating factor could exist. They already make more money than anyone could ever have dreamed of 20 years ago from one fucking game. Mm. Um, and then there's the other thing that they brought in. They finally addressed what constitutes conflict of interest. Uh, and they're basically saying any any uh, team or players that have any uh, conflict, anything they deem a conflict of interest uh, will not be eligible to play at the major. Uh, this includes owning shares. This includes any form of entanglement whatsoever. Uh, By the way, says, for people who are just fans of the show, right? I'm just yeah. going to pretend as though everyone hasn't been watching all the last episodes and just say this. Do you actually imagine it's a pure coincidence that Blast went out of their way to tell you they were splitting up ownership or refresh owning Blast and Astralis is making it separate as to who those mm. companies are. Right before Valve drops this. Right before. This beggars belief as well. Like, come on, man. Of course the not. idea those guys did that out of their own volition is laughable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, they put out the PR statement saying, we are doing it because we feel that like, players will benefit from it and will benefit from it. But what's interesting is the uh, the the what, what constitutes uh, a conflict of interest it could still very easily be argued, actually. But but, but look, right? So it says here, I am not currently aware of any conflict of interest. This is what you have to sign. I'm not, not currently aware of any conflict of interest I might have with another participating team or any player on any or any other participating team. If I currently have a conflict of interest or become aware of one over the course of the event, I will immediately provide detail to the CSGO development team explaining the nature of my relationship with the other player or players and a plan for resolving this issue in the future. I understand that failure to report a conflict of interest may result in my disqualification from the event and forfeiture of proceeds. And then it says, and in addition to players, tournament operators have to accept the following clause licensee and tournament event staff may not have any business entanglement including but not limited to shared management shared ownership of entities licensing and loans 
with any participating teams or players. If licensee has any business entanglement with any player or teams, then licensee will disclose them in writing, including a description of the nature of the conflict to Valve as of the effective date and at any point thereafter during the term when such entanglement may arise. Within its sole discretion, Valve reserves the right to A, require the licensee address and remove the business entanglement, or B, terminate the agreement without cost or penalty. So what's kind of interesting here is that they're saying, they say teams and players should not have any financial interest in any other team. They put a heavy emphasis on the players there in that statement because that's what you have to sign when you when you go in. Now, what constitutes business entanglement for me is, let's say, for example, okay, um, Nicola Nyholm has a, a seeding company that puts money into multiple things. They've put money into refresh. They put money into withdrawals. They put money into this. They put money into that. There, there uh, easily could be some overlap, some conflict of interests there coming to the major. But if he manages Astralis and his seed company is putting, which he's a part of, is putting money into other teams, let's say, and that financial uh, entanglement is still there, uh, are Valve going to call that out? I don't think they are. It certainly sounds like actually there's still a way to obfuscate it as much as uh, as much as you can. You know, we've got Jens Hilgers. Jens Hilgers in the past few years, and I'll be honest, I haven't even kept up with it. Uh, but Jens Hilgers, we all know he had financial. Uh, in fact, he has a financial interest in G2. He's on the board of, of some sort of ESL. I don't know what his most recent title is. Uh, I think he's got some title over there still. He's also had financial interest in Fnatic. He also is one of the guys who runs Bitcraft Shareholdings, which is another seeding group, which puts money into all sorts of things. So you know, how how far into this are you willing to go to kind of clear up uh, conflict of interest? I don't know. But I mean, based on that, right, if if, if Jens Hilgers is still a decision maker of any kind over at ESL, then this should create all sorts of problems for ESL running tournaments that involve G2, involve Fnatic, you know, because we, we don't know whether or not the he, he's extricated himself from the finances of those teams. So... I think the conflict of interesting. Last time they addressed this in one of their blogs, I felt it was just it didn't change anything. And I think even though this is more strongly worded, people are just going to get clever at hiding it. It's just going to be shell company after shell company, and hope you don't get caught because that's how people roll in esports. No, I have no doubt whatsoever that that will absolutely be the way it goes. And another reason. This might sound counterintuitive to people, but one of the reasons, unfortunately, why game devs who want their game to have like competitive integrity should be very vigilant about conflict of interest is, and this is why it's counterintuitive, is because at the moment, conflict of interest is one of the best ways to not lose tons of money in esports. Yeah. So what you do is, since, yeah, company A, company B, and company C that I own in esports, none of them make loads of money. They might even all lose money. But if they're all in the same space and they're all different components of the same space, why don't I just make them all interact? So maybe one of them saves me costs on another company. And maybe one company does a service for the third company that all just circulates the money. And even beyond the obvious money laundering angle that that would immediately entice, there's just the fact that that's a way for someone to have ownership in a lot of the space and have some power but make it so that he sets off some of his costs the problem is within within that 
he himself is then going to be incentivized to do something dodgy because he has all these companies that interact with each other and you could do God knows what if you were a team owner who rigged a game, a tournament organizer who let certain teams in because you had ownership, a betting company who set a line based on something. Like these are obvious problems that will naturally come along in a space like this. So I actually think in that area, Again, I don't think Valve does enough on that in that regard either. Like their approach, if you've noticed, is they will say nothing or say something and be like, "Well, I told you all, so everyone just do what I said." But it's like, yeah. are they actively monitoring this? I, I'm kind of suspicious of when they are. I feel nah. like you're just you bringing it to them or something like that. Otherwise, they'll never. Yeah, know and, I, and, I, and I've said like I'm I'm not like, like surely they didn't know all this shit about fucking refresh and stuff. Oh, Someone had to tell them that. I've no doubt. They, right? They don't have anyone that's looking into this over there. It's always it's always when it goes public and the only people well, you know, there's a very small handful of people that put this stuff out into the public domain, me being one of them. And it is, it's a waste of time. It's like when when you look over at like Riot Games, right? And they do an announcement about all this Echo Fox thing going, Well, our investigations have shown that there is a racist shareholder at uh, Echo Fox who was racially what I did the investigation, you mad cunts. It was me. Well, mention me, like, you know what I mean? But they don't, they just pretend I don't exist and they act on information I put out in the public domain, conducting no further investigation themselves, by the way, except to stick their head around the door and go, yo, Echo Fox, is this true? Like, oh yeah, Richard's done us, hasn't he? Like, he's fucked us right over again with it. So, yep, no bother. Our investigation has, like, it's like, fuck me, man. And it's like, I'm actually doing so much work i should be getting like really fucking paid for like i should be working for one of these games developers as like the fucking spanish inquisition type motherfucker i should be talking martyr all up in this bitch like i'll find out who's fucking trying to rob y'all blind and fucking has all the conflict of interest but you don't really care about it what you really care about is just making as much motherfucking money as fucking possible and meanwhile, I'm out there trying to be like, in this industry, have a conscience of the soul, please. Can we can we not be like sports? Can we, can we not go the same way as FIFA? Can, do we, can we not just be about making money? That is always my favourite thing. And is... working with fascist <laughs> regimes around the world. And, oh, you know, look, when the, the reference FIFA, want to do see as though it's a good thing. Like, we'll be like FIFA. It's like, why oh. would you even go? Of all the references, even just give me a different one than that. Not FIFA, please. Yeah, oh. no, but that, that was the best thing about that fucking interview. <laughs> with well it's rob crosley sadly missed when he did that fucking uh interview with pietro fringuelli and he and he's and they were like well, we're aiming to be the fifa of esports he's like you are aware fifa is a horrendously corrupt organization and pietro fringuelli's gonna be he went yep but we won't be <laughs> <laughs> that's good isn't it? <laughs> no that interview still remains one of the most outrageous things and i just why are all these people like Alan Partridge characters who think like, can I just lie here? Can I just say it will work? It's like, yeah. why, why are they all some ridiculous characters like that? I'm just going to ask again. Have I got a new theory? Can like, I just... have all the money? <laughs> it's, just, it, it's just insane to me. And it's like, listen, I admire that you're at least talking about it. You're doing better than me. Like, Riot Games have been talking a good game on fucking competitive integrity. Like... Uh, since day one but we all know it's a crock of shit and i think we've all seen as well activision blizzard straight don't give a fuck they would have satan fucking himself by into this league and run 10 teams i mean they, they, 
they 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 literally fucking were going to allow that infinite esports company to run all of as many of the fucking tier two fucking teams that they could buy up, signing a contract that literally said, uh, by the way, if you ever get fucking picked up um for the overwatch league houston outlaws has first fucking dibs on you or you, you know it, it's like come on man like people don't give a fuck about it anymore and i gotta break my back like working on stories for months at a time to put it out there so a developer can come along and go yeah that's bad yeah we're, we're gonna do that don't do that nobody and everyone goes oh it's, it's great what they're doing now let's tweet at this guy 5,000 times because he blocked someone on Twitter. You know, it's like, fuck me, what's the point? Like, my, 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 my inbox is just full of slimy, awful companies, um, you know, just like offering me money, offering me like deals. Like, I can just take all that, rob, you know, rob everyone blind, sit around. What are the consequences, by the way, at the end of the day? What are the consequences? There don't seem to be any signing players to shit contracts. Who cares? Running skins casinos where the outcomes are rigged. Who really cares? Here's a company that owns a company that owns a company that's all fucking making it look like they've all got sponsors. Hey, do you want to invest in our companies? Because look at all these other companies that are partnering with us. I own them. <coughs> no bother. It's just investor fraud. It's all good. Like, let's just keep... You know, this can never go wrong. None of this can go wrong. And the problem is, by the time we figured out how many times we've been bent over and fucked, right? And how dumb the community is with its fucking... Well, I think this guy's bad because he expresses his opinions. Uh, but this guy's good because he is a slick... Mr. Money Lover over here. You know, like, oh, why, yeah, do they, why do they always get tricked by the fucking bad guys? Because like, the morons! Because the fucking morons! That's all they are, the morons! You have to be a moron to be like, hmm, this person's opinion is different to mine. That's bad. This person is working with the Qataris. That's fine! Do you know what I mean? Like, these people are fucking dumb. And they're the people that drive the market forward. And then they go, oh, wait, why did our scene implode again? Because you're supporting scumbags every time. They just want to make money from you. I'm trying to stop them fucking exploiting you. Why am I the bad guy? Fucking hell. Nah, honestly, it's ridiculous. It's exasperating. You, you can't even figure it out. These companies, they don't care about conflict of interest. Conflict of interest only really affects you guys, by the way. It, it doesn't affect them, even when they get caught. Because there's never any punishments for it. It's just one big open fucking secret. Just hand over fist. Anyway. Um, right. But yeah, so Valve addressed it. Big round of applause for Valve, eh, Duncan? G good on them. Yeah, brilliant. Uh... <laughs> Right, let's do the fucking, uh, let's do the questions um, from our lovely uh, patrons that make the show possible. Uh, but Pounder 420 asks, why did StarCraft become the preeminent real-time strategy? That's a tough question, actually. Um... Well, I, I, did, I did an article on this, like, a few years back. It might even have been the one that you called me a cunt for that led to us having that big fallout in 2011. <laughs> pretty, good, pretty good reason to read it then. That sounds well, like no, a good testimonial. The, 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 the fact is, what's funny is, you went, I think, was it you tweeted out CS, CS journalist discovers Google? that Because everyone was blowing up this article saying it was good. 
You said CS journalist discovers Google, types in StarCraft or something like that. It was a bit more complex than that, but <laughs> sure. you know, we work we work months back in the day. Um, not like now. But, no, of course not. Of course no, not. no. But, uh, but basically, there was like a mad perfect storm that happened for StarCraft to blow up the way it did. Uh, a lot of it revolving around Korea in particular. So what happened in Korea was, there was an econ- there was an economic they had an economic problem they had like a recession looming so this was at a time when the government had basically promised everybody hey we're going to give everyone broadband we want our internet to be among the best in the world we want to be at the forefront of this new emerging technology uh, the other thing you have to remember about Korea as well before this uh, economic collapse comes in they have a huge embargo on Japanese goods and, and products like you know, they have this really big excise tax that goes back to some fucking feudal beef from way back when so people didn't play consoles unless they were very wealthy because it, to get an Nintendo to get a Sega you had to pay fucking crazy amounts of money so people played PCs they had home computers PC games now the economic collapse comes in boom one of the ways that the government wants to get people out of it is like, fuck, there aren't jobs, there aren't this, but we can we can maybe get us out if we create like some small business development loans and everything. So because of the popularity of the internet, because of the popularity of PC computers, because of the popularity of online games, what happened was people started creating PC banks, land cafes to, to you and me. This was a very popular business that proliferated all through South Korea. Um, Lots of people started them at the same time. And because money was scarce, people would just go and it was a way to sort of socialize without spending a lot of money because there was very cheap rates. You go and sit and play with your friends uh, in a land cafe for four hours for fuck all. So people started doing that more and more. And as a result, because people saw this business thriving, they started making uh more and more land cafes it was the one kind of growth area during a very difficult time for the south korean economy anyway while that started happening well tv companies want to start making content but they they're fucked for money because the marketing budget's gone and everything else is gone so one of the things they started doing was they looked at what was fucking popular amongst the youth culture what was blowing up in the current zeitgeist well, it was StarCraft. StarCraft happened to be one of the most popular games. I think one of the reasons why, actually, and this is more of a detail, not necessarily a, a fact, but something to consider, was because land cafe owners could take one copy of StarCraft, right? And you could put it on every machine with one copy. You didn't need, like, a separate key for all the games that like you did for some of them. So you were always guaranteed to have StarCraft on every PC in a land cafe. It was obviously a very popular game at the time. People really enjoyed it. It was a great game. Um, but anyway, so all of that, all of that happens, and then the TV companies come in and go, "Hey, everyone's playing this StarCraft game. Everyone loves uh, StarCraft. So what we'll do is we'll 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 start putting it on TV, super cheap. We'll start filming people playing the game. We'll start showing series of people playing the game. That's how you end up sort of getting the first wave of you know household names. They weren't, by the way, this was still very niche. Uh, household names of of top players kind of graduating 
through becoming known and having big followings and everything. And from there, it took off because in the West, everyone started looking over and going, fucking hell, they're all just mad about fucking games out there. They all love esports out there. That wasn't the case at all. It was like a perfect storm of all of these things that happened to basically create uh the area f the, the where where starcraft could be successful blizzard always take credit for it um but blizzard had nothing to do with it it was it was all again pure chance perfect storm right place right time and a lot of people in the west kind of like you know they always make out that oh it's it's just because culturally it's accepted out there. it's not like that at all and Duncan has spent a lot of time living in South Korea, and it's not like that now, frankly. So, um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that because I know you were a bit more involved in the scene at the time. Yeah, I would just say, like, it was just, I always describe it as like when Pokemon cards were a huge thing, or if you go back far enough, Pogs or fucking, what do you, what the other ones as well, like, um, your yours like yeah. things that that in kid is, culture yeah. become like a big phenomenon for like one or two years max and then they just dissipate you know so in korea basically that's what it was in the 2000s for starcraft like there's some stat that like half the copies of starcraft were just sold to south korea so ridiculous art so it's not even that in the world it was that big a game it's just in this one country they went mad for it and that and as you say if you actually know the foundations of why it came about societally, it's actually basically like a cost-saving measure. So it wasn't actually that it was this huge thing. So I always said to people, it never made sense that you could have had all those TV channels and all those numbers reported for how many people are watching, and yet the money in the scene could have been so small because the money in the scene back then wasn't even comparable to what we had in Counter-Strike like five years ago. So that always seemed a bit overblown. So I would just say, yeah, it was a very weird, almost game out of time in a sense and it just hit this perfect moment in a particular culture in asia i mean you have to remember at that point in time no one knew anything about fucking korea it was only relevant for the korean war like it wasn't a big country like it is now i think esports had a lot to do with that so i think it's just a one-off phenomenon and as a result i would just say don't expect it to happen again like this just looks like something that happened once in history and probably i don't even think starcraft itself will ever hit those heights again it was just a, it was just a blip on the radar Mm -hmm. um so hopefully that uh that answers uh, a little bit of the history you can go out and if you use google you might even find my article which is dog shit i've been told so give that a read uh and i'm pretty sure duncan's uh written about it extensively and there's a lot of interesting stuff on the team liquid forum still one of the really old forums that hasn't like been cancelled and deleted yet so um, and hopefully never will be because it's a big part of esports history. Uh, Reykjavik on Steam asks, if a tournament were to be hosted in Hong Kong, which team would have a home advantage? Would it be the Hong Kongers or the glorious Chinese overlords? I mean, right now, it, it, there's obviously zero chance, I would say, of any uh, esports activity going on in Hong Kong. And the reason for that is because it would be a tacit endorsement of the, of, of the Hong Kong people. Um, and... and it would be so fraught difficulty meanwhile when you go over to china everyone's taking chinese money so you know we've already seen riot games do a preemptive statement saying oh our broadcasts not really the arena to address complex political issues like sure it isn't i'm sure if i went through all the vods you've never no one's ever talked about politics ever on a riot broadcast um or made a joke about it or made a reference to it um on top of that you've also had um this you know ridiculous 
where they actually pretended they didn't censor people saying Hong Kong. There's a team called Hong Kong Attitude that we're playing, and this got this got turned from Hong Kong Attitude into HKA. And you even saw people in interviews, like well, the the, the talent rather on on air, were going Hong. I mean HKA, and I'm supposed to believe no one fucking had a word with them. Also, when Hong Kong Attitude won game, they didn't do a live post-match interview like you, they that they'd done for every other team. They they did a pre-recorded one <coughs> much later in the day. Um, so look, everyone's just on that Chinese money dick right now, and uh, it, it it no one's going to criticize China openly. Um, everyone's turning a blind eye to what the Chinese government is doing because they want to keep the lights on. Bottom line is, people will bend over backwards to accommodate China, and it's not just an esports problem or a gaming problem. It's a real-life sports problem. It's a real-life sports problem. This is something that happened, I, I talked about this recently, where, you know, the Chinese team, because for a superpower, they fucking whine like no other superpower I've ever seen in the world about how no one respects them. We all have to respect you. You can crash any economy you want in the world, especially America's, by the way, because you're gobbling up all them black market dollars. Go look that up. Any, without trying to sound like Alex Jones, Google it, Google it, right? You know, the, the fucking reality here is that, um, you know, when they lost in, like, the under-23 youth World Cup in soccer, right, the Korean team beat them, and the Korean teams took pictures of themselves, like, flexing, stood on the fucking trophy, and China said, well, that's just disrespectful. That's gone too far. They should be kicked out and banned. In fact, actually, retroactively, we should win. And, of course, the fucking football association has to come out and apologize and say, yeah, we'll take action against them. Every time China cries about something, right, you have to just fucking play along with it and pretend that, um, yeah, well, you know, China's got a point. There is no argument on the Hong Kong situation, by the way. There isn't, there isn't a side that you can reasonably pick. You choose tyranny and despotism, or you side with people that don't want to get extradited and renditioned by a totalitarian government. If you are on the fucking first side, you're wrong. It's not a debate. It's not a discussion. So who has the advantage? It's always China. China have the advantage. They've had the advantage for a long time economically. And they get to do what the fuck they want in any space where economics are a factor. And I'm sick of bootlicking corporations pretending it's okay because they just want to make more money. See, this is what I mean about I could go full evil. Because I can go anytime I want and do do a little stream going, I have said many f terrible things about China, but I'd take them all back. And now I'm going to do the Wisa tournament or the whatever the fuck it's called. Not even Wisa, but you know what I mean? I, I, like, I've had offers to do Chinese events. I will not take Chinese money. It, it's unconscionable. But anyway, so yeah, China, of course. I know you've got nothing bad on that one. There's nothing to be said. That's not what I'm doing Counter-Strike anyway. Mm. Uh, Sun Made Raisins, uh, what's your favorite part of your home to do DIY to? Duncan? I hate DIY and anything that involves not playing games. <laughs> I would never do any of that shit. Would I? Plus, the sad thing is, I've also gone too far to ever learn it because I've reached a point now where I have money. I can just pay some other cunt who didn't listen in school and he can do it for me. Why would I ever have to do it? Brilliant. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I, I built some uh, furniture and stuff out here. We've got, like, a solid wood table. I built some guard furniture as well. I wouldn't say it's a favourite fucking pastime of mine. Like, I don't really give a fuck. I, the, the reality is, like, 
I don't know. If I need something, I buy it. But I'm kind of like you. I'd rather just get a man in to do it and just fucking get a man in. I also yeah, appreciate competence. So no, I can actually afford it. I'd rather just hire someone to do it properly instead of me fucking it up, you know? Yeah. Uh, Alice the Alchemist asks, Hey, Rich, with the most recent Twitter debacle behind us, do you think there are still hidden communities that have it in for you? And why do you think that is, where people know your work and credibility yet still go after you, aside from the massive cognitive dissonance? At the end of the day, this applies to anybody on social media. Duncan gets it too. Um, although, as I said, I, I think Duncan has probably said a, a few things that... Look, whenever we talk on Twitter, you have to remember, you're dealing with a character limit. You're dealing with... Um, you're in a specific frame of mind. You're dealing with... Um, surely, surely seeing this is not going to stir up thousands of people to go insane. You know, you, 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 when you're dealing with a, a, a tweet or social media, you, you're sort of limited in how you can express yourself and doesn't always necessarily come across it like the optimum way. I know, like, for, for me, I probably tweeted some stuff where it's like, could have definitely said that better or could have not said that at all or, you know, whatever. Uh, but the reality is that, like, people, people using, like, one-off tweets to try and speak to the entirety of your character, these people have problems. These people don't understand what it is to be human how it is to interact with humans um and you'll just see unfortunately th these mobs these groups and this is again this isn't even a left versus a right thing I, you know I, I try and every time i've been on the train wrecks podcast i always try and make this known so i'll repeat it here Trex always goes oh yeah it's these lefty mobs i'm like you got them on the right too Man, i hate seeing people get ratioed even when they say something stupid and walk and there's like a thousand comments like kill yourself moron no. <laughs> it's a funny boomer yeah. it's like no it's that's just, just as bad yeah of course bad. it is and and very often very often you know it'll be like something that ostensibly the core of the point is is correct it's just that once you start passing it through that woke lens the woke phraseology you, you know people people get their nose out of joint and and what what people do is they make everybody like into a member of a tribe within a culture war even if they're not wanting to get involved in that people people assign it to you so you end up with this ridiculous situation where it's like you know all the people i've noticed like crap fuck me over they all have a pathology they're all they're all very similar they don't have followers they don't know what it's like to be in the public eye they don't seem to lead very fulfilled lives when you just casually scroll through their twitter account they're very active on social media without really having a reason to be you know it's not they like would also find trade. someone even if it wasn't you or me they would just yeah, exactly. find someone and they no, would latch yeah, on exactly. that's been exactly. my observation of, of the kinds of people we're dealing with yeah, not, that, that... it's not that they they were radicalized by me they were radicalized by someone else and therefore mm. they latch on to me and go nuts on me for some reason you know yeah exactly <laughs> like, it, it's it's they they need they need to find something to drone out the noise that you get when you sit in a room by yourself uh, if you just just try it for two hours turn off the lights you know i'm not saying go full sensory deprivation tank Turn off the lights, turn off your computers, turn off your TVs, turn off your phones, turn off every electrical device, and just sit there in the dark contemplating the nature of your existence and the mistakes you might have made and who you are and where you're going in life. You won't make two hours. You'll terrify yourself. You'll fucking terrify yourself. And it's worse if you know deep down you could have done more, you could have been more, you could have made changes, you could have done this, you could have handled this differently, you could have done that. People cannot fucking handle it. So how do you drone out that perpetual, 
you know, kind of existential horror of assessing, I am here for a limited amount of time and then I will never exist again, right? How do I drone that out? Well, one, a great way is to create monsters out of people that you don't know and constantly attack them, attack them, attack them, very often projecting things you hate about yourself as the reasons you hate them. And you must go after them because if you can beat them into submission, you know, it's almost like the exercise. I get to do it to someone. I'll never get to do it to me. I can never fix me. But if I can beat somebody else in a submission, I can feel like I contributed, like I made something good. People, you know, these people are destroyers. They're not creators. These people are miserable, yet they claim that they're speaking up for joy and light for all people. They're not. The happiest people on planet Earth right now, uh, in the West, I will add, uh, are the people that have no involvement in, in internet and Absolutely. they don't have a Twitter account and they don't have social media and they just have a few friends in a local bar and they go to church on Sundays and they're completely oblivious to all of this. They're the happiest people. I meet them all the time in Nevada, trust me. They, they're happy as fuck. I spent uh, talking to a guy for 30 minutes. He's church on Sundays. He, he's got, he, he's a carpenter. That's all he does. And he just, he's like, oh, I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have any social media. Like, I was like, fuck me. I wish I were you. <laughs> I wish I were you. And he's just, just a, just a happy dude. Just beer, a few beers with the boys, watches the football, you know, it's, 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 it's insane what we've done to ourselves with the internet. And the reason that communities will have it in for me forever is something linked to that. I'm seen as the harbinger of doom in every esports community. Because whenever Richard talks about something, it's something bad. And if it's bad enough, maybe it gets cancelled. These people, remember, aren't happy. They're over-invested in the communities that they're in because they're kind of societal misfits. We all are to a certain degree. I would put them on the more extreme end of it, though. So they, they, they need it. They need this community of online cartoon avatar people they barely know, acting as a support network, talking to them on Discord. This is their primary means of existential comfort, right? And I come in and I go, oh, hey, look, here's a scandal about this, a scandal about this, a scandal about this. People start pulling out, money starts disappearing. <clears throat> Maybe the game gets killed. Maybe the game gets killed to such a point the community goes away. And then what have they got? So what they, they see me as the destroyer i'm not i'm trying to make things better but that's how they view me so they absolutely must cancel me i am i am dangerous i am destructive to what they care about uh even though the reality is i'm i'm not and if they would just try and be a little bit more open-minded you would find there are many places on the internet that you will go and fit in and people will not for you and will not disrespect you and you can be as weird and as wonderful and as unique as you want. And people aren't looking to do that to you. But unfortunately, they've had it drilled in their head that they aren't, the first community they fall into, that's truly where you belong. You're a, you're a tumble, you know, like marble going down. And the, when you get pigeonholed, that's where you have to stay for the rest of your life. Unfortunately, these people aren't very happy. And they're not going to get happy. They're not giving themselves the tools for happiness. They're jacked up on just wrecking anyone they can on social media at, 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 at all costs. And in doing that, that, that they think will fill the hole. Here's the reality. 10 years from now, a lot of these people are going to be pushing 30. And they've got to stare into a very different kind of abyss. Um... And it's going to be sad. And this is why I keep talking about the, the looming mental health crisis. People always think I'm flipping when I call people mentally ill. 
You watch 10 years from now, guys, we're going to have things diagnosed that you didn't even know exist, that we didn't even have words for. Social media is going to be at the root of all of it. Um, and it's, it's fucked up. I, you know, for a lot of these people, my detractors, the people that try and make my life miserable, I do honestly feel legitimately sorry for them. Sure. When, when, I, when I can take a moment and not be in fight with them. Oh, the sad thing is, mate, because, I mean, this is actually something I learned a long time ago because I actually looked into the topic of, like, who are people who say they're social justice warriors? Who are these people who claim to stand up for these, obviously, in theory, noble causes? And sadly, it's the same thing with trolls as it is with these people. They're just damaged people who have shit lives. They have fuck all going on except this. And this becomes, as a result, the entire quest of their life. And they become some sort of fucked up Don Quixote type character yeah. who was just created the evil enemies. Like, look at the yeah. way they run around talking about people like me and you. You would yeah. think we were Voldemort or something. Like these yeah. evil entities that like, oh, people just don't understand how evil they are. Though. I've got to tell everyone. I must warn everyone as to why they're so evil. So like, sadly, I agree with you. I have the same sensation, which is I actually feel when I think about the person or looking at their like Twitter accounts, I initially feel pity, actually. I think, what a mm. fucking shit life this person has. The problem is that feeling goes away really quickly when they're trying to fuck with your life. So, like, that actually is one of the reasons why I've even changed one of my perspectives over the years. So, I used to have the position that you should never go after anyone's job because, like, everyone needs to have a job. It's it's the fundamental baseline of what you need to exist in modern society. But I also realized that was naive because that came from a perspective where, in theory, the best end goal for everyone is that we all just succeed together and we have a community and we have our space. What I didn't realize was there are people who have now come into our space who don't even like the game that much. They don't even give a fuck about the community. They've got their own shit going on with their life and their own identity issues that mean that they have to act out in this way. And they absolutely will destroy everything in their path if allowed to. So people like that, actually, I think once you notice in advance, you can preempt that they are literally going to be destructive to you and other people. Actually, you almost have a responsibility to do what you can to get rid of people like that. Now, not in any sinister sort of way. I just mean expose what they do, try and put pressure so that people like that are removed if they indeed are harmful to the community because that's another thing I've kind of learned over the last couple of years is I also used to take a lot of the like just minor abuse on the chin because I used to just think that mm. ah, whatever you know maybe it just comes to the territory of being a big name but all those shit people normally say but what I realize that's quite sad is I, people like me can barely take it sometimes. What the fuck happens to a normal person who comes into this space, as you see with people like DK and others, just normal humans who come into our space who haven't spent 20 years as some fucked up mutant doing esports. Like, mm. that, someone like that shouldn't have to put up with this shit. Like, that is actually totally unacceptable. And, and to see the same nutters, that's why I always say the line in the sand is people like DK. When the same nutters attach themselves to those figures, mm. by the way, people I'd even say don't even have some of the personality flaws, people like me and you do, that in some ways have allowed us to stay in these spots for so long but it's also why yeah. we why we have so many problems you know we're not the sort of people who are like happy-go-lucky people who just play nice etc well there's people who don't have any of those issues and get the same abuse so to me like certainly we play a small role in it people are triggered by some things we do or say but the idea that it is primarily us motivating it, it's if you look into it, you'll find it just isn't. These are just damaged people, sadly, who they'd just be going nuts over someone else if it wasn't me. Like, if I'd never found, got my way into Counter-Strike, there'd be someone else to be going mental at right now. So yeah. you have to just kind of put them to one side, I'm afraid. We're never going to be able to fix that problem. It's a societal problem, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and, and as I said, you know, it's it's like, you know, you can, you can generally identify these, you know, nothing they say makes any sense. Like, how they create these, like, rules that 
then very objectively don't apply to them. You know, things like uh, they can tweet abuse at you all day. If you block them, you're scared of them. If you reply to them, you're dunking on them with your massive following. They create, uh, you know, this is this is how genuinely when you realize like people are kind of, that it, it starts speaking to mental health problems. Because I could sit down with somebody who wasn't having like an episode and say like, okay, so you think it's wrong to tweet uh, abusive, abusive people. You think it's wrong to argue with people on Twitter, correct? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, you t tweeted at me telling me to go fuck myself because you didn't like my opinion about this. What's that? And they would go, yeah, okay, yeah, that was a bit hypocritical of me. But it's the levels of cognitive dissonance that you have to hold to basically say, you know, oh, it's bad when you do it. And, and and my thing might even be replying or quote-tweeting someone, and they go spare about that. Meanwhile, you know, Patrick Klepek is an example. He just did that to me the other day, right? I accidentally clicked block on him. He screenshotted it, tweeted it out. So all his followers fucking, you know, ha-ha, fuck Richard Lewis, you know, man. And, um, yeah, he's a Nazi, I heard. Yeah, he's a Nazi. You know, all of that, right? And the reality is, like, he um, he replied to somebody saying, I don't even know who he is, why he blocked anyone, but, you know, suppose he can't cope with mild criticism. So I showed him a death threat that I'd had, like, just a couple of days ago. Keep in mind, Patrick Klepek is a guy who actually blocked people from pointing out he'd made an error in his reporting. And it's happened on a number of occasions. These rules don't apply to these people because this is all they have. This fight against imaginary monsters on the internet it's what they have now. It's the only thing that satisfies their, their, their lack of being able to do the things they wanted to do. This, which, which is another part of another problem. Everyone's gone nuts because they all think they were all meant to be a fucking celebrity or whatever. That's like, and again, that's tight into social media. So, but whatever, fuck it. I can talk about that all day. It's a fucking terrible fucking situation we got going on. But appreciate all the patron uh, questions. Uh, with that said, uh, let's wrap up the show. So shout out to our sponsors, Beep. Remember to go and subscribe to CS uh, is their channel. They've got a daughter two channel as well. If that's your jam, go check over there. It's just daughter two. Go subscribe to their channels. There'll be content from me coming in both of them. Uh, that podcast I recorded with Nahars, where we actually talk a little bit about some of this stuff and talk about China and and uh, media rights and esports should be a banger. So go check that out. Uh, it should be out in a day or two. Uh, and obviously just sign up to them in, in general. Com slash RLS. Go there, support them. And, uh, you know, um, they support us, uh, so it's, it's good of you to do it. Uh, also, shout out to our patrons, uh, some of which got to ask us questions, but our $100 patrons. Remember, if you're a $50 patron or more, you get to ask a question at the end of the show. $100 patrons, Jerky's Minion, Detlef Insomniac, Reykjavik on Steam, Alice the Alchemist, and Justin Sapansky. And our $50 patrons, Benakagi Assassin, But Pounder 420, Carve, Colin Penny, Daniel Sellers, Madsen, Marcus Kiumpar, Mike Feedme, Nemesis, Sard Sawar, Some Made Raisins, T.T. Owens, Tobias Bernasconi, and Watchdoge. Thanks to all you guys who tuned in as well. Uh, we'll see you sometime next week for the latest episode of By the Numbers. Until then, take care of yourselves.